More on this story in the next hour with massive football fan Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Catherine Boyle, did you just go there? She did! Oh my goodness. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. It's BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past six. It's Monday, the something of September. I've not woken up properly yet. I suspect if you keep listening to today's show, you could hear this gravy train falling off of the the rails because we we, we were so close to not being on air about four minutes ago. Plenty on the show this morning, including... Former England captain John Terry is quitting international football following a career that's had quite a few scandals. I'm asking this morning, are footballers good role models? And who were your role models growing up? I'll tell you mine in a bit. Also, Vauxhall workers have been sent home for a week. We'll be talking about that later on. And according to a new study, we're not middle-aged until we reach 55. When did you start to feel middle-aged? I say 39. Once you get past 40, you're past it. Give us a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or call me 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And you can give us a call any time uh, during the show about anything we're talking about, 08459 455 555. But I genuinely believe... That if you're over 40, you're past it. And I, look, 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 calm down. I can say this because I am 13, I'm approaching 40. And I'm middle-aged, totally. When were you middle-aged? It happened earlier in the olden days, didn't it? So I, I, I suspect that, you know, if you're in your 70s now, you were probably middle-aged when you were, what, 30? 08459 455 555. We'll be speaking to Esther Ranson later on in the show, who completely disagrees with that. Now, the former England captain, John Terry, has uh, quit international football. He made the announcement just hours before he's due to face an FA hearing into allegations of racism. The Chelsea player, of course, denies the claims. Our reporter, James Alexander's got more on this. Good morning, James. Morning, Ian. What has John Terry had to say, exactly? Yeah, this announcement came in a surprise statement last night. John Terry had previously said he wanted to carry on playing for England, but he's accused the Football Association of making his position untenable because of its decision to pursue racism charges against him. This is following allegations he racially abused QPR's Anton Ferdinand in a match you'll remember last season. There was a big court case. In court, Terry admitted using the word black and a number of swear words on the pitch, but said he was simply repeating what he believed he'd been accused of saying. He won his case, he was cleared in court, and he says it's wrong. He's now being forced to face the music a second time in front of the FA. So he stepped down as England uh, captain, but I'm confused by this, because they charged him a couple of months ago. He's known about this for a while. Why has he waited until the night before the hearing to make this announcement? Yeah, the timing is interesting. It's possible his legal team have advised him he's likely to lose the case, and so he's maybe decided to jump before he's pushed. Um, The disciplinary hearing is taking place in private, a secret location. Mm. He will go before an independent three-man panel, John Terry. If he's found guilty, he could face a lengthy ban. But he was cleared by a court of law, which has surely got the higher th- th- standing in, in this case. So if he was cleared of racism by a court of law, h- how can the FA find him guilty of the same thing? Have they got more evidence? 
Well, it's simply they have their own rules, the FA. Right. This hearing starting today is essentially a civil action. So whereas in the criminal courts, as you know, an offence has to be proved beyond reasonable doubt. In other words, you have to be 99.9% certain. In the civil case, the burden of proof is much lower. It's on the balance of probabilities. So kind of 51% is it likely. So this is how the FA could reach a different decision to the court back in July, the hearing expected to last three days. And how big a blow is this for, for England, the football team, not the country? Yeah, the, fo- the, the country will be divided. I'm sure that people listening right now have different <laughs> views yes. about the merits of John Terry, to say the least. But the football team, Roy Hodgson, the manager, has made it clear he wanted John Terry in his squad to try to qualify for the next World Cup. Clearly, Terry, a hugely experienced player, the bedrock of the England defence for the past few years. He is now 31. You're talking about you know, when you reach middle age. That seems very young to write someone mm. off. But in footballing terms, he's had various injury problems. And at this stage in his career, it sounds harsh, but uh, his best years are probably behind him. It's debatable um, how big a blow this would be for England. In his statement, John Terry says, I've always given my all for my country and it breaks my heart to make this decision. We have contacted the FA for their reaction this morning. They said they're not making any comment at the moment. James, thank you very much. James Alexander there on the John Terry incident. Now, I don't, I don't particularly want to talk specifically about John Terry uh, because he has been found innocent in a court of law for these uh, accusations and it, it, it's interesting that the FA feel the need to pursue it. But I do want to ask you, dear listener, uh, are footballers good role models? Uh, the reason I ask is because the, 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 quite often they are caught up in controversy. Now, I say he's been found innocent in a court of law of, of, of racism, so that's that's fine. Uh, but he has, but John Terry has been involved in other scandals, including copping off with his mate's girlfriend or wife or something like that. I don't particularly follow the the gossip around this, but he he he, he has done some naughty things in the past. I think we can say without fear of litigation. And other footballers have been involved in you know going to prostitutes and the lilla and drugs and all these kind of things. Footballers, are they good role models? Because kids look up to them, don't they? Is it right that you can look up to someone who's a bit thick and earns 200 grand a, a week? 08459 455 555. Has your opinion of footballers changed in the past couple of years? Are they good role models? 81333. Start your text 3CR. And on the back of that, who were your role models growing up? Please. I'll share mine later on if you share yours. 08459 455 555. Are footballers good role models? And who were your role models growing up? This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. A little bit of Randy Crawford. <laughs> I love the front page of The Sun. It's, it's a Talisa exclusive. I was petrified sex tape would make me look like a slapper in front of the nation. Wasn't the tape that did that, though. Now, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Uh, I want to know, footballers, are they good role models? And who were your role models growing up? George Drew has tweeted us at BBC 3CR. He's coming with a good one. Footballers are the worst role models. They teach nothing about the core values of life. My role model, here we go, is my dad. Isn't that nice? Huh? My, my role model isn't my dad. <laughs> he, he was a little bit of an idiot. I think I can say that quite safely. He was quite a bit of an idiot, my dad. So he wasn't my role model. I'll, t- I'll tell you mine later on. 
Uh, and Lindsay Coyne uh, on Twitter says, uh, no, footballers aren't. My role models were Ant and Deck. I've said that out loud, haven't I? Ant and Deck. I mean, they're nice, but as role models... It's 6.15, it's Monday, September the 24th. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. John Terry has announced he's quitting international football ahead of his appearance before an FA disciplinary panel charged with using racist language. The Vauxhall van plant in Luton's closed today for a week of downtime due to a slump in demand for vehicles across Europe. In sport, Wickham are set to make a further statement today after the sacking of manager Gary Waddock over the weekend. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes. And coming up, the Emmy Awards, television's equivalent of the Oscars, have been taking place in Los Angeles, America overnight. We'll find out what happened before 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Radio. You, you may be one of those strange people that considers JVS to be your role model. I had two people independently this weekend say, all right, Ian, yeah, I'm enjoying your, your show on three, uh, three Counties. Not as good as JVS. Yeah, thanks that, guys. He'll be on at nine o'clock, as always. Will Young. What? I, <laughs> I thought I put him off there for a second. He paused, didn't he? Good for him. Well done, well done. It's one of his songs, then. He's still going on. Are you a fan of football? Are footballers your role models? Because they used to be. Back in the day, they used to be, you know, kind of someone to look up to, didn't they? It was more of a a working-class kind of sport, really, wasn't it? But now they're multi-millionaires. Can you really have any empathy with a multi-millionaire <laughs> running around the pitch and running around various bedrooms off the pitch? Can you... Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Hey, w- was it raining a lot where you were last night? It was fantastic where I was. I wasn't out in it. My wife was. She came back late at night. Not late at night. She came back about half past eight and she phoned me up. He said, "Ian, are you, are you asleep yet?" I said, "No, but I'm in bed." Oh, do you want me to come in and help you in the rain? No, it's fine. Do you want me to? No, 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 it's fine. So I went downstairs and watched her struggling with the baby in four bags in the pouring rain. Oh, dear, no, no. I opened the door for her. Um, But that rain was amazing last night. I was in the loft and it sounded incredible. Uh, We're talking about role models and our footballers' good role models. Ben in Buckingham is called in. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Ian. Uh, Footballers' good role models? I think it depends, because some are and some are not. Who do you think is a good footballing role model? Uh, someone like Steven Gerrard, maybe. He's good, is he? Why is he so special? Because he um, does a lot to help out the families of the Hillsborough and goes into hospitals to see sick children. There you go, fantastic. You can't argue with that. But who, who was your role model growing up, Ben? My late grandfather. Oh, there we go. Well done. Fantastic. What, what, what made him so magical? It's because when I was born as a baby, I had a hereditary um, eyesight condition, which she had, and... Because people used to tell me I couldn't do anything. When my mum told me stories of what he'd done when he was totally blind, give me inspiration. I could do anything I wanted to. Oh, what a nice story. Uh, so, uh, Benny, are, are you blind now? How, or what's your sight like? I've only got sight in one eye. Right. And how does that affect you? Um, some days is good, some days is bad. Yeah. Oh, listen, Ben, that's a lovely story. Thank you so much for calling in. That's all right. Cheers, mate. There we go. You see, what what nice... Thank you, Ben. That's lovely. A touching little start to the show, isn't it? It's his grandfather who had the same hereditary eye condition as him and let him know that basically you can do what you want. 
Good for you, Ben. Well done. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'll tell. Mine feels a little bit flippant now <laughs> after hearing that. But I will tell you my role model later on. Now, the Emmy Awards, television's equivalent of the Oscars, have been taking place in Los Angeles overnight. That's in America, kids. Despite the hype and a handful of nominations, Downton Abbey didn't do as well as hoped, winning three of the sixteen awards that the British drama was up for. Tim Tiemann is a U.S. correspondent for the uh, London Times. Uh, Tim, how successful is Downton Abbey in America? It's really, really huge in America. In fact, people are already talking about season three, which doesn't begin here until January. Um, and obviously it began, I think, in Britain two Sundays ago. So people are all very, already very anticipatory about it. But it certainly has not done very well tonight um, at the Emmys. Why do you think it did so bad at the Emmys? Because I would have thought the, the, the Yanks would have thrown awards at this kind of period drama from us. We're good yeah, at this stuff. They did. Yeah, they, and they really did last year. I think it did really, really well last year. But this year, there was a really strong show called Homeland, the Claire Danes, uh, Damien Lewis sort of, you know, thriller story, yeah. uh, which is far too complicated to get into here. But that's done really, really well tonight in America. And in fact, I mean, we're saying Downton didn't do very well, but there has been a big British success tonight, which uh, Damien Lewis won Best Actor in a Drama for his role in Homeland tonight. Now, Tim, I've missed Homeland, and everyone tells me it's excellent. Have you seen it? Is it any good? It is. It's really, really super. So get, I guess get the DVD box set before the next season begins. I think it starts in America in a couple of weeks' time. So, And again, people didn't really watch it the first time around here. I mean, it became a cult success. So I think it, winning as many Emmys as it's won tonight, it really swept the board tonight in the Drama Award category. I think people are really going to be turning on to it. It's on a cable station over here called Showtime, so right. it doesn't have that big guaranteed audience. It has like a Mad Men type right. folk, but you know what I mean? It gets buzzed about quite a Tim, lot. Tim, is it like The Wire? Because everyone said to me, oh, you've got to watch The Wire, you'll love The Wire. <laughs> yeah. I watched five episodes <laughs> of The Wire and thought it was rubbish. I know. It's one of those shows where everyone says, oh, you really, really, really must watch it, and if you don't, you're like, oh, no, no dinner party will be worth going to ever again. Exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. But, um, so, yeah, it's, it's a similar principle. You have to watch Homeland, and <laughs> if, you, if, if you don't, just don't go out and see anyone ever again you know what I mean? were there any surprise winners last night tim um well it wasn't a total uh, washout for downton dame maggie smith did win best supporting actress for downton um and there were no big surprise winners in the comedy category a, a show called modern family i don't know what show what station that plays on, on sky over here yeah. On sky, that, yeah that did really really well that won most of the comedy awards um but the big story is mad men got locked out this year so mad men a previous winner like downton abbey just didn't do anything this year at all. It really was Homeland's year this year and then Modern Family for comedy and that, that's really, those are the two big stories out of the Emmys tonight, really. Still, still a pretty good night for British talent then. A few awards for us. So what we've got there, yeah, the big awards for Britain, the take home, as Americans would say, for oh. Britain tonight. <laughs> yeah. you've, been, you've been there too long, Tim. Come back. Come back now. Come on. <laughs> if I start talking about the journey I've gone on, you know really <laughs> when it's not yeah. um, <laughs> but The two, yeah, no, the, the, the big British winners last night were Damien Lewis, a Best Actor for Homeland. Dame Maggie. Um, did anyone else say anything? I think that those are your two big British winners. There were no, oh, I, I say a big disappointment tonight. Uh, Sherlock was nominated in loads and loads of categories and again, wow. didn't take anything home at all. So Benedict Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman, the show itself, writing and direction, it all lost out to a mini um, another American miniseries which did very, very well above it, I'm afraid. So no, not a great night for Britain, I'm afraid. Tim, thank you so much for com- uh, coming on the show. We'll speak to you again soon, I hope. That's Tim Tiemann, he's a US correspondent for the London Times. He was good, we'll get him back. Um, yeah, the, 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 the Wire, everyone's, oh, you've got to watch The Wire. 
You've got you will love. And I watched five episodes, and I thought I, I was saying, when does it when does it start? When does it get good? There was one bit that made me laugh, and it's just them swearing while they're investigating a murder scene. I, but I just I don't. When when does it get good? And Mad Men, I watched the entire first series of Mad Men and, and quite enjoyed it. Nothing really happened in it, but I quite enjoyed it. This is the advertising uh, drama set in the, the early 60s. And it, it looks great. You know, everyone's puffing away on cigarettes and drinking scotch for breakfast. And it looks great. And the first series, it was all right. Not a lot happened. And then it was, again, five episodes into series two. And it's series, kids, not season. Five episodes into series two. And I was like, do you know what? Li- life is too short for this. <laughs> There's nothing really going on you know once you've got over the slick back hair and the fags and the, the suits there's not really a lot happening so uh, this is why I'm, I'm kind of dubious of starting these big american series particularly after i was so let down by the end of lost i was obsessed with lost i went to the set in hawaii yeah yeah yes, yes I did. Uh, uh, and i was obsessed with lost and then the, i wasted six years of my life on that because the last 20 minutes was like oh no really it's like a bad punchline to a long, shaggy dog story. Anyway, <laughs> role models we're talking about this morning. Are footballers good role models? And who were your role models growing up? Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up, we're talking weather. We're talking uh, Lib Dems are having their conference. Surely it's all over for the Lib Dems, isn't it? And I want to know your role models. Who are they? Are they any footballers? They can't be the best role models, can they? Speak to you after this, Daniel Powter. How much did you spend on your umbrella, dear listener? We're having an argument here. My team are saying, I wish someone would invent a decent umbrella. Well, they have. Just don't, just don't buy them from the market. Spend more than a fiver on an umbrella, you get a decent umbrella that does the job. Keeps you dry, and it won't blow inside out. And it's fun when it blows inside out, I like that. Uh, very exciting, Friday the 5th of October, it's Beatles Day. Oh yes, and they are reforming and coming in here on The Breakfast Show. They're not, they're not doing that, that would be, uh, that would be inappropriate. But to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the release of Love Me Do, which was the first single released by the Beatles in 1963, it's going to be Beatles Day on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, if you've got any memories of the Beatles, if you ever met them, ever saw them in concert, maybe you hated the Beatles. My granddad used to hate the Beatles, and my mum had this drawer full of, d- 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 like, signed Beatles stuff, really rare Beatles stuff, and my granddad one day threw it all away. Wow. Uh, send us an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk, with your Beatles story, and maybe you can come on the air uh, on Friday, the 5th of October, and celebrate Beatles Day. Now, summer is officially over, as heavy rain and gale-force winds have been affecting parts of the UK. I was sleeping in the loft last night, more on that anon, uh, but it was fantastic. It was chucking it down, it was cold, I was snuggled up in bed, listening to a little bit of the radio, reading me Murakami. Fantastic. Doesn't get any better than that. He's an author. Japanese. Oh, yes. Winds of up to 60 miles per hour hit the north of England and the south of Scotland, while other areas could see 80 millimetres of rain before Monday evening. Terry Aldridge is a weather forecaster from Newport Pagnell. He joins me on the line now. Terry, did you predict this? Uh, morning, Ian. Um, well, sort of, yes. Ah. <laughs> you say uh, sort of. Is, is there, there's some doubt in your voice. Well, not in, not in, no doubt. It's, uh, it's definitely happened, obviously. And, yes. And uh, it's quite clear to see that... Uh, this uh, area of low pressure out in the Bay of Biscay 
was going to affect uh, the UK. But not so much uh, our region, of course. There was kind of a vagueness about it, because some of the weather forecasters were saying, well, you know, it might hit us or it might just go straight to Spain. H- how is it that th- th- the weather can be so vague, Terry? Uh, well, the, obviously the, the atmosphere is a very complex uh, uh, machine, if you like, and uh, it's, uh, even these days it's still not 100% uh, accurate in the uh, in product- prediction of uh, the weather. Well, it's much better than it used to be. How far in the future can meteorologists predict the weather? Um, well, uh, I should perhaps say that I'm uh, only an amateur. OK, OK. If you like, but um, uh, certainly a week uh, is very good. Um, up to two weeks, it starts to become a bit um, a bit doubtful. And uh, some some of the long, long-term uh, weather forecasts probably uh, are not particularly accurate. Terry, you say uh, uh, amateur. Uh, do, do you do it with bits of seaweed hanging up on the wall, or have you got all the equipment? I'm, I'm slightly more advanced than the seaweed, right. although some of those uh, old country uh, methods do have... Uh, uh, they are based on reality, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, I have uh, equipment. I have a little uh, electronic weather station. Have you got that in your back garden? It is in the garden, Fantastic! Yeah. And it's, it's, a pre- it's pretty good, is it? It does the job, and you go out there and check it every day, and just... Don't, don't you trust people like Steve Weston and our weather forecasters? Oh, yes, they're the professionals. Yes. I'm not. <laughs> uh, it's uh, uh, it's going to be get wetter, but there are talks of a month's worth of rain in the space of 24 hours. Pretty unusual. Oh, uh, yes, uh, that's uh, probably going to happen. Um, so far this month, up until yesterday, we'd only had... Well, I'd only measured three millimetres of rain, but uh, yesterday we had almost 20 millimetres, and uh, we expect the same in this region again today. Terry, listen, fantastic. Thank you very much for that. That's Terry Aldridge, who is an amateur weather forecaster from Newport Pagnell. He's got all the kit in his garden and goes out and checks. Wonderful. I remember doing that at school. We had, like, a little weather station at school, and you would go and measure the rain and other bits and pieces. What are those old-fashioned techniques? There is... You hang a bit of seaweed up on the wall, and if it... If something happens to it, then something's going to happen. I don't know any more than that, to be honest. I don't know. Uh, let's go through the front pages of the newspaper, shall we, and have a little look at what's going on. The Guardian, I should say, is giving away um, children's stories on CD. Yeah, it fell out and accidentally fell into my bag. And now it's in my bag. I just can't find it. So sorry, guys. If I do find it, I'll make sure I bring it back to BBC Three Counties immediately. Uh, <laughs> but the front page of The Guardian, Gre- uh, Clegg pushes, not Greg's, the the bakers, that would be terrible, Clegg pushes for new taxes on the rich. Top 10% targeted as embattled leader signals fresh coalition fight over cuts. We'll be talking to um, someone who's at the Lib Dem conference a bit later on uh, to find out what's going on there. Did you hear there was uh, a a bit of uh, Clegg on the news yesterday when he's now in the charts, he's in the hit parade with this auto-tuned remix of his apology. It's all right. It's not that. It's not that clever, but it's all right. Uh, and someone said, "So, how are you going to celebrate being um, being in the charts?" And he really struggled. You should, we should try and find the clip because it, it's really awkward. It's him going, "Well, um, well, well uh, uh, more importantly, it's my my twelfth wedding anniversary." You can say really plucking that one out of the air. Very uncomfortable. Uh, and the FA has made my position untenable, says Terry, as he walks out on England. That uh, has prompted the discussion. Ah. Um, are footballers good role models? And who were your role models? I'll tell you mine later on. The Daily Telegraph. There's a picture of, uh, 
Um, uh, Nick Clegg's wife looking surprised that she uh, has been outed as it being her wedding anniversary. Look, she's surprised. Miriam Gonzalez Durantes, there's a name for you. Uh, and cable to lend small firms, this is the Telegraph, cable to lend uh, small firms £1 billion uh, from taxpayers. Uh, and ban Pakistani minister from Britain, say MPs. This is the guy, uh, Ghulam Ahmed Bilor, uh, who's a member of the Pakistani government. He's offered $100,000 to anyone who can kill the maker of the film that's caused angry, anger in many Muslim countries. Have you seen that film? It's awful. It's a stinky, stinky film. The Independent. Uh, Britain's, uh, reveal Britain's biggest taxpayers. Exclusive, super-rich list of top earners who buck trend and choose to pay their share. Uh, and struggling to buy a home? Dip into your parents' pension, says Clegg. See, that's a, 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 an odd one as well. They're really, um... Uh, and Tim Burton, look at this, on page 11, Tim Burton invites you to his latest premiere. Days after England's most northerly town, uh, hosted the UK Premier. Hmm. Anyway, Tim Burton is inviting you to one of his premieres. Uh, if you want to go to that, uh, do let me know how it goes. Uh, the Times: Police files reveal fast, uh, vast child protection scandal. Confidential papers show a decade of abuse in South Yorkshire. The Daily Express: New test beats heart disease. Oh, there's a surprise! The Express are saving our lives yet again. Millions of lives will be saved by breakthrough. A simple blood test could detect those most at risk of Britain's biggest single killer. I've not read the story. I'm guessing if I were to go to the last paragraph, it would say something along the lines of, this has been successfully tested on a mouse and will be available for humans in about ten years. Uh, the Daily Mirror, married teacher on run with pupil 15. Pair flee, on, uh, pair flee to France on ferry. Schoolgirl was last night missing in France after fleeing on a ferry with a teacher. The Daily Mail. Clegg, soak the middle class. Deputy Prime Minister wants to hit millions earning over £50,000 with higher tax bills. Uh, and pictures of two of the ladies from Downton Abbey at the Emmys last night. Good for you. Well done. Uh, and The Sun. Plebs row. The official report. An official police report shows Tory Andrew Mitchell did brand PC's plebs in his Downing Street rant. Kind of part of me thinks, so what, really? You know, the police do a cracking job, but they can be really frustrating at times, can't they? Can't they? I've sworn at a police officer. Yeah, I have, on the telephone. I didn't address it to them. I told them I was very annoyed with the way they were dealing with the case. You know... Really, calling them a pleb? It's not the biggest story in the world, is it? Or is it? Maybe you think it is. 08459 455 555. Good morning, it's 6.46 on Monday the 24th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. John Terry has announced he's quitting international football ahead of his appearance before an FA disciplinary panel charged with using racist language. The Vauxhall van plant in Luton has closed for a week of downtime due to a slump in demand for vehicles across Europe. In sport, Wickham Wanderers will make a further statement today following the sacking of manager Gary Waddock over the weekend. Your weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy and windy with outbreaks of rain. Heavy at times, drier and brighter in the afternoon. Top temperature, 16 degrees. And coming up, John Terry has quit international football just hours before today's FA hearing into allegations of racism. We'll hear more about that after 7am and we're asking, are footballers good role models? And who are your role models? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Oh, I've just moved something on the computer that I shouldn't have moved. We'll have a look into that into a second. But the Liberal Democrats are in Brighton for their annual conference after a tough year for the party. Despite being in government, support has um, halved since the party joined the coalition. They've been, they've been split over policy and question marks over Nick Clegg's leadership. In recent days, he's apologised for pledging not to increase university tuition fees before the last election, a policy he then abandoned once in office. For the latest, I'm joined from Brighton by our political correspondent, Paul Rowley. Good morning, Paul. Ian. Uh, what's the mood down there? It's got to be bleak, hasn't it? it it's as, as blustery as the weather, I have to say, which is battering the Sussex coast pretty fiercely. You're in a very morning. poetic mood this morning, Paul. Very romantic. Well, absolutely, for yeah. You. Tough on rhyme and the causes of rhyme, as Tony Blair may have said on, <laughs> on one occasion. But. All right, steady on now. Uh, but no, I mean, the fact of the matter is many of them are councillors or ex-councillors who've lost their seats in uh, the last couple of years since the Liberal Democrats formed the uh, coalition with the Conservatives. They've been splits over policy and there are mutterings about their leaders. So I suppose it's a pretty typical party conference, really. The councillors must be angry because it's, it's, it's something like the lowest... The, the Lib Dems have got the lowest number of councillors ever. They have, but let's remember they were only formed in 1988 after the merger between the uh, the Liberal Party and the Social Democratic Party. But you're right, I mean, uh, that was a uh, power base in many a year. I remember when there were only five old Liberal MPs in the old days, so they have come on somewhat since then. But you're right, a lot of the activists uh, have used to be coming to these places for years. I've been covering for, for more than 30 years, and they, they've been a party of protest. They're a party of opposition. Now, they are a party of government, and they're still acclimatising to that. Many of the traditional Liberals feel their the purity, as it were, is being damaged by having to compromise, having to trim, and as we've seen in the last week, Ian, having to apologise for the, what they've done. But hey, Nick Clegg's mayor culpa over university tuition fees, he is number 31 in the <laughs> iTunes chart, <laughs> pop pickers, so, you know, Margaret Thatcher, Tony Blair, even Winston Churchill never made it to the top 40. Did, did you, see, you, you must have seen that, or I heard the interview uh, the, the, the other day where he's asked what he's going to do to celebrate being in the charts. And he really struggles to say something. And then he goes, yeah, but it's my 12th wedding anniversary. Quite. It was uncomfortable, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. I mean, he did face uh, the, the, the conference yesterday. And yes, there were critical comments uh, about the direction of the party over policy, particularly. But you're right, he was chipped because it was his wedding anniversary. It's not the anniversary of the wedding to David Cameron, by the way. It's the right. one to Miriam, 12 years. So actually, it means he's now in his 13th year of marriage. And isn't 13 unlucky for some? <laughs> but there you go. But, he's hey, got to be a dead man walking, hasn't he? He can't well, survive as party leader. Well, many. Well, he is deputy prime minister, which uh, you know, it's a long while since the word liberal and prime minister are in the same sentence. You've yep. got to go back to Lloyd George in the 1920s. So you know, at least there is that improvement. But yeah, a lot of people would like to see Vince Cable in charge, for example, the business secretary. Even I noticed yesterday, Ed Davy, the energy secretary, was being tipped. But I think, frankly, and we've got too many Eds in politics. Yes. We've got Ed Miliband and Ed Balls running the Labour Party. Paul, so, Paul, you're doing my Ed in. Quite, absolutely. Thank Three you. Three heads are better than one, Thank possibly. you very much. Uh, Paul, uh, t- t- what, what happens now? Do you, do, you, do you just go and hang out with a load of Lib Dems and get boozy with them? Is that the, the, the form there these days? So we listen to what they say on oh, the right. conference floor, and this morning there is a motion effectively challenging the decision to sign up to the, the government's austerity programme. It's been tabled by some on the left, effectively calling for uh, an alternative programme to the cuts being imposed by the coalition. Now, talking to some ministers last night, they're pretty relaxed about it. They hope to defeat it, but even if they don't, hey, it doesn't matter because it doesn't bind them to change course. Paul, thank you very much. Paul Rowley there, uh, who is uh, a political correspondent down in Brighton at the Lib Dem conference. Oh, the Beach Boys and Darling, come on. 
I'm seeing the Beach Boys on Friday night, so I suspect you may hear one or two more of their songs uh, as the week progresses. I'm very excited about that. They're all back together. Ah, dearie me. Um, what, what, what's, what's this uh, text? We're talking about um, Nick Clegg, and it's his 12th wedding anniversary. Uh, also, I, being married 12 years, you buy your wife something made of off silk or linen. Isabella. I'm not, no, Isabella, I've not been married for 12 years. You've misunderstood. I don't quite know who... Are you aiming that at Nick Clegg? I, I would be surprised if he were listening to us this morning, but we'll certainly do our best to pass it on to him. Thank you very much for that. 08459 455 555. I want to know who your role models are. I'm going to come out with mine in a little bit, so keep listening. Now, Wickham manager Gary Waddock has been sacked. It follows a run of poor results since their relegation last season. He spoke to our reporter, Ewan Duncan, after Saturday's game against AFC Wimbledon. We've worked very, very hard during pre-season. We've worked very hard during the early part of the season, but the f- performances and results are not there. So uh, we, need to, we need to improve on what we've done. Five defeats in six, though. Do you feel the pressure from that? It's not, it's not nice. Um, you know, I, I don't like losing games. Uh, I like winning games, um, and in the situation we're in at the moment, it's uh, it's a difficult difficult period. And Gary Waddock there, who has been sacked, and Keith Ryan played for the club and was the assistant manager under John Gorman. Keith, are you disappointed that Gary Waddock's been sacked? Um, obviously, yeah, I know Gary quite well, and uh, it's never nice to see someone lose their job. Um, but I think everybody knows in football, it's it's sometimes inevitable when you don't win football matches. So disappointed for him, but. Uh, I just want the best for, for Wickham Wanderers, and if that means that um, they need to appoint a new manager, then so be it, I suppose. Have you heard kind of what the fans are saying, Keith? Do they, do they tend to agree with you? Um, I think so. I mean, <laughs> fans are generally a fickle bunch, aren't they? As long as their team's winning, they're happy. Um, but yeah, I haven't really um, been out in the community at all uh, to, to hear what the, the views are, but um, I'm sure if you asked any of them, they just want their team winning, and if if that means that um, a new manager needs to come in, then uh, that's the way it should be, I suppose. Keith, what do you think has gone wrong? Cause it, 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 it's not been great, has it, for a while. What, what's gone wrong since they got relegated last season? Well, I don't know. I've seen a couple of games. I saw a couple towards the la- at the end of last season, and um, I, I saw one game this season, and, and Wickham didn't play too badly. I think, um, in fairness to Gary, he has got a, a terrible injury crisis at the moment. Uh, a lot of big players are out. And with a small squad and a small budget that takes an effect. It really, really does. Mm. Um, but it is a shame because I think um, whatever squad you assemble should be um, good enough, really, to be able to cope with, with injuries. Um, yeah, and it, it seems like Gary's maybe found it difficult to motivate those lads uh, to come in and win games. You tempted to put your name up for the job? <laughs> um, well, I would, I would be very tempted, I've got to say. Um, if I weren't in a different position. I, I, I started a business two and a half years ago and I've, I've um, invested quite a lot of time and yeah. effort into it and it, uh, for me it's probably not the right time, I've got to say, but I always felt it was a real honour to represent Wickham Wanderers when I was a player and I was lucky enough to caretaker manage there and, and, and I was assistant manager for a long period of time. So um, I love the club and I love uh, you know being involved in it and um, I would never turn my back on the club. So. Uh, yeah, I'll, but, but, but I won't be applying, that's the thing. Going off on a slight tangent, Keith, what do you make of John Terry retiring from international football? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I was just hearing about that this morning. Mm. Um, 
I suppose really it was inevitable, and I think he has to maybe personally make a stand. He hasn't been dealt with brilliantly by by the FA, and I think um, he obviously thinks he's innocent with, uh, of all the, uh, the the racism. Um, and he's been proved innocent in the court of law as well. well we have to remember it. that. Absolutely, yeah, you're right there. So, yeah, maybe in his own way, this is a, a bit of a. Um, turning his back on the FA um, in, in that respect. And Keith, we're talking about role models today, and we're kind of asking who people's role models are. Who was your role model growing up? Was it a footballer? Um, I know this might sound a bit cheesy, but I mean, uh, my role, model, uh, role models were my, were my family. I was yeah. the youngest of, of six people, and my parents brought me up uh, to have good family values and um, treat people with res- respect, and I think it certainly started from there. Um, in football terms, I-, I-, I looked up to. I'm an Arsenal fan. I shouldn't maybe say that. But <laughs> oh, it's coming out now. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> yeah, but um, good players. Liam Brady was a was a was a great player. I don't know if anyone remembers him, but yeah, fantastic uh, role model in my my my. Keith, nothing cheesy about saying your family at all. It's a lovely sentiment. Thank you very much. It's Keith Ryan there, uh, who played for Wickham Wanderers. He's tempted. Oh, he's tempted, but he's, he has other business commitments. Who are your role models, dear listener? 08459 455 555. A lot of people saying parents. I feel bad now. Mine's silly. <laughs> this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Role models, Lib Dems and the weather. All of that and more coming up after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Listeners, and I know that we've got a lot of new listeners joining us now. Yes, you gave the other fella on Radio 1 30 minutes. He wasn't that good. You've come to us. Well done. Welcome. We'll entertain you. Plenty coming up in the next two hours. Former England captain John Terry quitting international football following a career that's had many scandals. Are footballers good role models? And who are your role models? Loads of you saying, like my dad, my granddad. Mine's really silly. But I'll, I'll, I'll come out with it later on, I will do. Voxel workers have been sent home for a week, we'll hear more about that later on. And according to a new study, we're not middle-aged until 55. Well, when did you start to feel middle-aged? I say it's at 42, and once you're past that, you're over the hill. You might as well give up. And I can say that I'm approaching 42. I'm not far from it, and when I'm 42... I shall sit at home, watching DVDs, smoking a pipe, wearing my slippers and kicking the dog. That's pretty much what it's going to be. You can get in touch about these and any of the stories we're covering this morning or anything you think we should be covering. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. But more importantly, why don't you give me a phone call? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, Roberto Peroni, who wouldn't want a bit of that pie? The best stories from across the three counties from amazing local people. Weekdays from 3 until 7. Roundtable discussions uh, from 6pm. Uh, it's Roberto Peroni, weekdays from 3pm, BBC Three Counties Radio. And it's, it's always, it's always uh, a, a cracking listen, and I thoroughly recommend it. So, we're talking about role models, OK, in, in, in light of John Terry stepping down from international football. I'll be honest, I was looking on Twitter. Twitter's not necessarily the nicest place, but there was nobody seemingly up in arms about this. A lot of people jumping up and down, kind of going, yes, at last. But it got me thinking, when I was a kid, for a lot of my peers, footballers were seen as role models, people to look up to, people you aspire to be like that. 
And they're not now, I don't think. Or are they? Are footballers role models? 08459 455 555. And it got me thinking about who my role models were. A lot of people have said their dad. I can honestly say it wasn't my dad. He's a bit of a numpty. He's all right now he's got older, but when I was younger, there wasn't a lot going on in his favour, I'll be honest. Uh, okay, I'm going to... So some of you have said dad, some of you have said granddads. Justin's been out to get your opinions. When we've heard what Justin has to say, I will come back and I'll tell you who my role model is. What well, was. Well, is. Well, was. Some are and some aren't, to be honest with you. And the types of Gally Lineker, Alan Shearer, excellent role models, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of good um, work done for charities by players that um, are not reported in the papers. So there is a lot of them do give up their free time. And, um, yeah, you know, when you look at Niall Quinn, when he had his testimony, give all the money to the hospitals up there. So there is a lot of good work done by them, yeah. Definitely agree. And your views on John Terry, you think it's, um, it's the wrong decision for the country, don't you, really? I think, personally, he's been tried by the courts, been found not guilty. Um, leave him alone now. I, I'm, I'm not a Chelsea fan, but I agree with... He, he, he's, been, he's been found not guilty. Let 12 men find him that way. Leave it that. And what about yourself? When you were growing up, who was your role model? My role model would be Trevor Brookie and people like that. <laughs> and being a West, your West Ham roots, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, I, I agree with people like that, um, you know, Bobby Moore and Trevor Brookie and that. But I think um, modern day Alan Shearer, Gary Lineker, excellent role models. I think some are, but um, some aren't. The modern day anyway... I mean, the kids probably think they are good role models. The time I came from, that wouldn't be. John Terry, as a captain, absolutely wonderful. But as a role model captain of England, but he's been an, uh, an absolutely wonderful servant to them. But my God, why did they have him as captain? Highly controversial character, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely, but terrific on the pitch. Uh, as anybody said, his legs are gone. <laughs> <laughs> they have, but he's still still got a lot of guile. Okay, so my role model was Bruce Lee. Yeah, no, he, Bruce, I was obsessed with Bruce Lee when I was a kid, and I kind of I admired him for what he did. I did kung fu for a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I did kung fu, and then I got beaten up really badly at a tournament by some. T- I was fifteen, lanky fifteen-year-old, and some tiny little twelve-year-old just came and did a flying kick at me and knocked me down. That was it. I thought, you know what? I'm not having any of that. So Bruce Lee was mine. My wall was covered in Bruce Lee posters. Who was your role model when you were growing up? We've had some serious ones, and mine, I guess, is perhaps not quite so serious. You can send me a text eight one three double three, starting your text three CR, uh, and you can give us a call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Later on in the show, we'll be talking to Esther Ranson about when middle age begins. You can start having a think about this now. Actually, I'm thirty nine. I think I'm approaching middle age. I mean, if you take it literally, I probably am middle aged. I'm not going to get much past eighty, am I? I hope not, really. So when does middle age start? Is it a mathematical, you know, can you point it to a year or is it more a state of mind? 08459 455 555. And what do you think to the uh, theory that I'm putting forward? Once you're 42 or over, you are past it. 08459 
Four double five, five double five. And back to the uh, the John Terry situation. John Terry has, as we've said, quit international football just hours before today's FA hearing into allegations of racism. The Chelsea captain says he can't continue playing for England whilst the FA pursues their racism charge against him. Well, Paul Mortimer is a former Charlton and Aston Villa player. He works now with the Show Racism the Red Card campaign. Paul, I'm confused because Terry's already been cleared by a court. Why are the FA pursuing this? Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And very, and very quickly, I'm 44 and I'm not past it, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> okay, I just, okay, we'll see. <laughs> I just want to start in. But on a, on a serious note, yes. the FA have different standards and different rules. Right. Um, and also, they, 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 they understand that, you know, players have to conduct themselves correctly because yep. the world is watching, children are watching. I mean, mm. you know, I'm on my way to a school now. And I know for a fact that the kids are on point when it comes to the John Terry and the Luis Suarez situation. They totally understand it. Mm. And I had one child say to me, um, you know, if John Terry allegedly has said that he used these words to clarify something, but we're telling the kids that these words are unacceptable, mm. I've, I've got a child saying to me, well, how come it's okay for him to say it and, and, and not okay for me to say it? And having to clear up confusion like that makes life difficult. But it's something the FA have to do. Everyone knew it. John Terry knew it. I'm not genuinely surprised about what, what he's done. It's just the timing of Why it, Why has really. he done it now? He's known about this for months. Yeah, no, well, that's the thing. It's just the timing of it, really. It was always going to happen. I don't know if in his heart of hearts he hoped that the FA would would discontinue it, but I couldn't see that happening at all because, you know, that whole situation, that whole affair threw up so many aspects of, of, of footballers' conduct and the way they behave themselves and the things they say to each other that aren't acceptable anymore. Mm. So this was always going to be investigated. Now, again, if you're innocent, you fight. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, if I'm innocent, I'm fighting. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not commenting on John Terry at all. I'm saying that, you know, he's an experienced footballer. He's not a 21-year-old kid. He's an experienced footballer. If you're innocent, I'm fighting the whole way. And I would not be giving up playing for England. Okay. I just, again, I just have to say, Paul, as I'm sure you understand, he was cleared by court of law, so legally as, as he as is innocent of those yeah. charges. Now, listen, he, you, you, work with, you work with the, the show Races and the Red Car campaign. Uh, uh, listen, I'm not a huge football fan. Paul, when, whenabouts were you playing? What, what, what era? I played from uh, the late 80s right. all the way through the 90s, and I retired in 2001. So I'm guessing, kind of in the late 80s, you were still experiencing racism in football. Did you experience it personally? Yes, lots. Late 80s, mid 90s, all the way through. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's there. There's no dispute in it. It's there. Um, what kind of things was this wrought from the fans, from the players? What kind of stuff was happening? I think you had it all around. I mean, let's start on the training pitch. You know, you'd have a row with one of your players, which happens all the time. And some players, if they're that way inclined, will come back with racist terms. There's, there's no dispute in that. Um, really? when, oh, but, you know, there's a spell where, especially in the late 80s and early 90s, where you might be the only black player in the side. Yeah. And I don't know, you, you, you're socialising at the training ground and something will come on the telly about black people and someone will crack a joke and expect you to just accept it. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. it's not, or they'll say something you know, derogatory about another black player on another side and say, I know you're okay. You're one of so, the good ones. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 yeah. No, believe me, all them old cliches. Now, as it moved on, it then becomes how you're viewed and how you're treated. Yeah. You know, I, I had, you know, I had a, a manager say to me that, you know, um, black players don't like the cold weather. 
which is why they don't play that much. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm laughing so, because that's so ridiculous. Someone actually said that to you. Well, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. Oh and, my and, god! And, and so you know, you're not going to play much in the next couple of months. So, <laughs> god, so, that's you know, incredible. It, and, and, and then, and, and, and then, and that's before you get it from the crowd. Oh dear. You do know, we it, still? Do, well, do we need this campaign now in 2012? Surely things are much better, aren't they? Thing, to be honest, things are much better. In this country, we do lead the way. We lead the way. It, you know, you look at what's happened around Europe during the Euros and, well, and Spain is it, Spain famously, yeah, aren't, aren't they? It seems to be okay to do it. But before we give ourselves a pat on the back, these type of issues that we've got in our own backyard tell us we've still got work to do. Mm. We're, 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 we're going along the right lines, but we still have work to do, and it's important that we don't give up and don't stop working. If anything, to, to educate our children. Yeah. So that they understand. And like I said, I don't believe footballers should be role models, but they are. So they have they, they, they have a responsibility to conduct themselves correctly, to behave themselves, to talk to each other properly, to show the correct respect. And you know, we look round look round your, your your office, look anywhere. We're all different. But it's the value we put on the differences that matters. And the way we treat people that that, that, that matters. And at the moment, People aren't doing that correctly. They're, they're, they're being incredibly racist and, mm. you know, persecuting people because they're from different countries, because they might follow a different religion, they live their life differently, or they, they've got different skin colour, and that's not right. Of course it's not right. Paul, very quickly, before we let you go, who, who was your role model growing up? Oh, God. Um, it sounds really cheesy, but, you know, my parents came over from Jamaica yeah. um, in, in, in the 50s, and, and my dad, and, and both my parents had work. My mum was going to be a nurse, my father was going to be on the buses, and uh, he developed kidney disease. Yeah. Um, and my mum had to quit her job to nurse him. Wow. So, so, and, and, and so it sounds cheesy, but they are Nothing cheesy about that. Nothing cheesy about that. They gave that, up everything to, do, to, 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 to be together. So, yeah. for me... They're, they're my role models, always will be. Fantastic. Paul, listen, you're an old man now. Go and put your feet up. Go and, <laughs> go and watch telly. <laughs> Speak to you later on. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you. Paul Mortimer, uh, former Charlton and Aston Villa player, now works with the show Racism, the red car campaign. He was good, wasn't he? We'll get him back. We'll get him in one day if we can. Oh. Someone on Twitter has said their role model was Chuck Yeager. Who's Chuck Yeager? <laughs> It's Monday the 24th of September, it's 7.16. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. John Terry has announced he's quitting international football ahead of his appearance before an FA disciplinary panel charged with using racist language. The Vauxhall van plant in Luton has closed for a week of downtime due to a slump in demand for vehicles across Europe. In sport, Wickham Wanderers will make a further statement today following the sacking of manager Gary Waddock over the weekend. Coming up, the Vauxhall van plant, as we've just said, is closed all this week. All the workers have been sent home. We'll find out more before 7.30. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. You lot are good. You really are. I've been training you the last couple of weeks. and there's, There's a bit more work to go. I need to just teach you a little bit more, but you're getting it. I've just asked two minutes ago, who was Chuck Yeager? Alan in Milton Keynes has just called in. Alan, good morning. Jim. You're good, Alan. To top, can we send? Can we send five points to Alan in the post, please? <laughs> you can put them on your Ian Lee points charts. You're in the lead at the moment, Alan. Who on earth was Chuck Yeager? Very well known American film star. White guy. I'm not prejudiced, but he was a white guy. Right. Okay. There's no prejudice about that. It's a description. Yes. Yeah, and he, he done a lot of kung fu type things. It's always a good guy. Well, anyway, he can't be that well-known, uh, uh, Alan, because I like my kung fu films. I've never... No, you're thinking of Chuck Norris. Well, it could be Norris. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Alan!
Alan, you muppet. Right, those five <laughs> points that we sent to, to Alan, can we send them back? Yes, Chuck Norris, you're thinking of, you muppet. Well, that's a joke, right? Or, or, <laughs> Alan, is the, 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 the word that's in vogue at the moment, you pleb. That's me. For goodness sakes. All right, we'll keep listening, because we, we may find someone. Oh, Alan, stay there. Kevin? Hello. Is it, was, was he thinking of Chuck Norris? Um, he may well have been. I don't know very much about Chuck Norris, but oh, I know a bit okay. about Chuck Yeager. Okay, Alan, keep listening, because Kevin's going to tell us who Chuck Yeager was. If I remember rightly, he's an American test pilot and was the first man to go oh, super <laughs> hang, hang on a second, right. That's the right. That's so, the right he, was, he was the first man to go into space, was he, Kevin? The first man to go supersonic. First man to go supersonic. Alan, is that who you meant? That's, that's the one, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you're terrible. Alan, you're fired. <laughs> uh, Kevin, how do you know this? Uh, I just know. L- little bit of general knowledge, you can't argue with that. Well, I'm in the kind of, you know, aviation aerospace-type stuff anyway, Good so... You. Kevin, would you like to, to join me in calling Alan a pleb? Um, no, just then the police might report <laughs> me and I'll have to resign from something. <laughs> thank Kevin, thank you very much. <laughs> Alan, would you apologise to my listeners, please? Uh, most definitely. De- go on, then. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> oh, bless you. Thank you, Alan, for being a good sport. Thank you, Kevin. Pleb is the word du jour. It's not a word I, I, I particularly use, but it, it, it's word du jour. So uh, that's why we're, we're, we're throwing that out. So Chuck Yeager was an American pilot, first man to go supersonic, not the star of uh, several karate films. That was Chuck Norris. Just so we've got that cleared up. Okay. Oh, dearie, dearie me. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call with your role models, please. We'll speak to Marie and Stevenage in a second. Now, as I said before, uh, you can call in about the things we're talking about, and this morning we're asking when does middle age begin, uh, and who were or are your role models. You can call in 08459 four double five five double five. You can also call in with pretty much anything else you want. You'll speak to the production team, and if they think it's worth you coming on the air, then you come on the air. Well, that's what Marie and Stevenage did. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. What's happened to you? Well, look, I'll cut it short. Going on out for the day from Shefford to Bedford, got on the bus with my grandchildren, got off the bus, left my handbag on the bus. Mm. Panic sets in, no money, picks up my phone, no credit on my phone. Four, three, four people I'd like to thank. I rang the police, <laughs> and they rang the bus stop. Uh, this... Young man, Asian, in his taxi. I, I waved him down and said, I've got no money, but can please, please take us to the bus station. He took me with no money, yes. gets to the bus stop. The young man from the depot is there getting my, my handbag. But the, the person I would love to thank is the young teenage lad. He was on the bus with his rabbit. He'd taken it to the vet. And he picked up my bag and gave it to the bus driver. So you see, there are wonderful people. So that stagecoach police, boy with rabbit, and Asian taxi driver. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Seventy-four-year-old loses her money. That's that's bad. So that's and you, and um, just say one thing. Just, just I, <laughs> you're, you're so bonkers, Marie. But I love you. Yes, go on. I would like to tell you, I'm seventy-four. Yeah, I and mean, I, if anybody if anybody called me middle-aged, I'd be upset. Well, but you're a pensioner now, though, aren't you? You're a senior well, citizen. 
Oh, yes, but, I mean, we are more active now than ever. Age, my love, is in the mind. Not the body goes, but the mind is still there in the brain. And your your mind's still there, is it, Marie? Oh yes. You yes, left your yes. bag on the bus. Oh well, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit is not quite as good as perhaps it was a few years ago. Well, I bet you've left things lying around somewhere and Never. forgot them. Never. Oh, I won't believe that, Marie. Believe when you that. were growing up, um, yes. sort of, I guess around the time of the First World War, who were, were your role models? I was born on the day war broke out, actually, really? but. Um, no, parents. Parents, it is, isn't it? Yes. Uh, parents, I think, <laughs> are your role models. Yes. So forget all these other people. Yeah. It's if parents can become role models to the children. Yeah. My mother was a worker. She worked morning, noon, and night. And all of the girls in my family and all of the boys work. Mm. And that was the thing. We didn't have a lot. We didn't have much at all. In fact, I think I never had a birthday, a party like they have today. But I'm not ashamed of <laughs> no, that. You shouldn't be ashamed. You know, and I was washed in a tin bath. So, really and truly, you know, what they've got today is yeah. be yourselves. Look at your parents. Some parents aren't that good. Yeah. But look at your parents. They should be the role models. Not all these people are doing role models because they're earning lots of money. And, and in my opinion, the footballers get too much money. I agree with you, Marie. £200,000 a week? Exactly. And, and they're worried about they might... The hair might get out of place if they kick the ball in the goal. I mean, sometimes I'm watching a football match, and I think if I went up there, I'd smack you and tell you to right. get on with it. <laughs> Marie, thank you so much for calling. Did call again, won't you? And well done on getting your bag back. Thank, thank you. you. But don't forget to say thank you to all those people. Oh, you've just done it. Uh, there we go. I'm not going to go around personally and shake their hand. What a lovely story. Thank you, Marie. You've been a very good sport as well. I like it when people can come on and they can, they can take a joke. Excellent stuff. 08459 555 Now, the Vauxhall van plant in Luton is closed all this week. All the workers have been sent home, but they do get paid. The reason behind this is that the demand for vehicles across Europe has slumped. Later on, we'll be speaking to Professor David Bailey, who's a uh, motor industry expert. But before that, we can hear, hear from our reporter, Nia Visser. She went to the factory before it closed on Friday and spoke to workers to find out what they thought about downtime. Everyone's got their own opinion on it. Me, personally... I think it's a good thing. Not have it just having a downtime, but the system that we've got in banking hours, you get paid for it. So you're getting paid full money for sitting at home, and then when build volume goes up, you'll be in to pay it back. To be honest, we're getting quite used to it now, with all the downtime and stuff. I don't necessarily agree with it for the reasoning behind it, but we just have to go with the flow in it. We're just told what to do. So, Why don't you agree with it? I don't agree with it because we were having downtime initially because of, you know, lack of, lack of demand for the van. And now it just seems to be we have downtime because they want to put in some new robots or if they want to, we're just stopping all the time. I can't understand why we're having downtime because we're running normal and we're producing more vehicles each day. And we're not doing less, we're doing more and more. And it's getting very, very difficult in there. So we don't understand why there's downtime. And we hear Vauxhall cars, vehicles are doing very well. But the problem is it's Europe. It's Europe's not doing so good. But here in the UK, we're doing very well. I'm obviously bothered from the, the, the point of a long-term future and, and uh, the, the problems that, that General Motors Europe face at the moment. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, no. I mean, we're, the, the vehicle we're building at the moment is at the end of its life. Um, you know, we're waiting for a new model to come in um, and hopefully you know, in the next uh, 18 months, you know, 24 months, we'll be you know, back to full swing again. Well, some members of staff have made plans to keep them busy this week, whilst others are not looking forward to making up the hours after downtime. We asked them how time away from work will affect them. 
I've got my golf all planned. <laughs> I'm going to the races on Wednesday, and uh, I might have a fly visit down to Cornwall. Uh, I don't know. So I'll, I'll keep myself busy one way or another. So I've got things to do. Yourself? I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy with a week off next week. So, But the weather's not too good for next week, so that, that's a down part. I will enjoy my downtime, but the point is, is when paying it back which would be a Saturday so you can't you won't have no weekends at all and at the moment that would be a, a year payback already because we had downtown beginning of the year already and we had 18 and now another week on top you're talking about you're looking at a year and a half paying back oh yeah it's nice to have time off but time off doesn't pay the bills so you know it's when we have to pay back the time it's always at a weekend or on a Saturday or you know, it's always an inconvenient time and it always tends to be in the summer. So you could be working six days a week in the summer when really, if we paid it back in the winter, it wouldn't be too bad. But, but when we have the time off, it's always in the winter. It's no good, you know. You don't really have family time in the winter. How will you spend your week off? What have you got planned? To be honest, the kids will be at school. So part around at home, do the odd job, you know. So if you've got kids and you've got to make time up at weekends, it's quite a big inconvenience for you. Oh, it's a massive inconvenience, yeah, because... All, our own family time is on a Saturday or we, well we only pay back on Saturdays so yeah it does have a, yeah, it, has a it has a knock on effect to your home life definitely yeah that's employees there from the Vauxhall van plant in Luton speaking to our reporter Nia Visser about the factory's five day closure this week due to a drop of vehicle sales in Europe this year if that affects you 08459 455 555 the BBC in bed Hearts and Bucks. This is BBC Thank Three you, Counties Radio. <laughs> a little bit of a problem with my computer there. I've done something, in it, but it's sorted now. No, don't need to worry about it. Uh, in the rest of the show, the last hour and a half of the show, we'll be talking about middle age. We'll be uh, talking uh, about uh, John Terry and about role models. And I'm really keen this morning to find out who your role models are. No one has called in and said it's football players. Which is up because when I was a kid growing up, everyone used to love football players and would look up to them. And we had a couple of guests saying, well, when I was a kid, back in the day, yes. But no one these days. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Lots of people saying their parents or their grandparents. I suppose my mum is to a certain extent, after everything she's been through and is, is, is still kicking around, you know. Uh, 81333. Start your text uh, 3CR. Now, a murder inquiry is underway in Easingwold. The victim is from Luton. We can go live now to Easingwold and join our breakfast reporter, Jules Bellaby. Jules, very quickly and very briefly, where exactly is Easingwold? It's about 12 miles north of York. Uh, It's not sleepy. It's quite a thriving little market town, or at least it would be, except uh, the main thoroughfare in Easingwold at the moment is completely closed off. It's a crime scene as uh, police investigate what has uh, become a a murder inquiry. So what's exactly happened, Jules? What do we know? Well, yesterday there was, uh, we, we, we heard that uh, police attended what they thought was a road traffic accident. Um, a man in a van had hit a bollard in uh, Long Street, the main thoroughfare in Easy World. Uh, he died on the scene, and uh, they assumed it was as a result of the accident. But uh, their inquiries uh, progressed, and it soon transpired that in actual fact he died of stabbing. And uh, we now have a statement from North Yorkshire Police who say, this is from Detective Chief Inspector Heather Pearson, who says she'd like very much to speak to anyone who has any information that can help the investigations come forward as soon as possible. Uh, she says that she can assure people who may be hesitant about coming forward that any information received will be treated in the strictest of confidence. 
And uh, if you have uh, any information, the uh, Crime Stoppers number is 0800 555 111. Do the police know any more about these stab injuries? No, uh, well, if they are, if they do, they're not letting us know just at the moment. Um, I've been uh, down at the scene myself today. There are, uh, I think it's fair to say these are just police maintaining a crime incidency, mm. and I don't know whether the investigators are back on site yet, but uh, uh, from uh, the uh, inquiries I've been making, there's, there's, there's nothing to add, put it that way, not to, to the general public anyway. And what's happening at the scene at the moment, Jules? Can you describe what's going on? Yes, it's a, it's a bizarre scene for, uh, just let me paint a picture, it's a market town. It's a typical North Yorkshire market town, beloved of... Uh, of tourists and uh, locals alike, it's uh, it's a very quiet place. Nothing much happens here, but it's it's thriving. It's busy. For instance, I'm I'm looking at a house now, which I know is uh, the home of a, a retired North Yorkshire chief constable. It's that kind of a place. It's well to do. Um, this sort of thing, you, you often hear people being interviewed by the likes of me saying, "Oh, this sort of thing never happens around here." It doesn't. This is easing world. But the main thoroughfare is ticker taped off, like uh, you would see in any crime scene. There are about Four or five police vehicles, including a big Pantechnic and crime scene uh, vehicle, and a tent over a part of the road. We can only assume um, that's fairly major in the investigation. And uh, also the, the bollards that uh, presumably uh, where the, the van came to a halt. Jules, thank you very much. That's our breakfast reporter, Jules Bellaby, uh, live from Easingwald with uh, that mysterious, uh, um, what looks like a murder. We shall have more on that, no doubt, as the story progresses. Oh eight four five nine four double five. Five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, if you're over 40 years old, you're past it. It's not new research. That's pretty much according to me. Um, and I can say that because I'm approaching it rapidly and I'm kind of dreading it. But I'm, I, in some ways, I'm looking forward to retiring and putting my feet up and smoking a pipe. Uh, a, a new study claims that middle age starts at 55. Well, when did you, dear listener, start to feel middle-aged? 08459 455 555. Well, journalist, television presenter and all-round legend, Esther Ranson, says 72. She's on the line now. Good morning, Esther. Good morning, Ian. 72? Well, that's where I am at the moment, and because I have just... Well, I can't claim full responsibility, but slight responsibility for achieving my first grandson, I decided that I could no longer think of myself... As young and slightly deranged, I'm middle-aged and slightly deranged. When did, sorry, when did you have your first grandson? July 25th. Okay. Oh, well, congratulations. Fantastic. He is. Wonderful. And can I just say, I'm surprised to find you're 72. I thought you were much younger than that, Esther. Well, you see, I am in many ways. I mean, in terms of mental agility, in terms of... Um, well, I'm not brilliant. I'm, I can't say I'm wonderful at cutting my toenails. That has become a bit of a stretch. <laughs> In every other way, yes. But seventy is the new fifty, of course. Well, apparently so. This is the. the, the I'm, I'm off to go and see the monkeys in concert in December, and they're all in their seventies. You know, so that's. The, so you, you, did you not feel sort of middle-aged at, at fifty? Mathematically, when I was thirty-five, people said I was middle-aged because then people remembered the Bible, deciding that we only had three score years and ten to look forward to. And yeah. Halfway there was 35, and that was ridiculous, because even then, when I was 35, you felt like an 18-year-old, just just coming into, you know, important decisions like what you wanted to do, who you thought you were, where you wanted to live. So, I mean, that was ridiculous. So I've sort of put the idea right out of my head. 
Esther, when are, when are we going to see you back on TV? I think the television... Sorry, I just got off on a slight tangent, but I was just thinking the television is a, is a sadder place without you on there winding people up. Yeah, well, there you are. Um, I... I... I don't know, to be honest. You've not retired, have you? This is one of this is one of those yeah, ridiculous yeah, yeah. decisions of, of television that we can't have older women on there, is it? Absolutely. Right. I'm trying to set up a, a new telephone helpline called the Silver Line, and from time to time, they invite me on to talk about the progress there, which I must say is doing really well. We've got a chief executive now, and we're hoping to hold pilots in November, and then it's really to combat loneliness, among other things, because... Um, I became aware when I lived alone for the first time at the age of 71 that I wasn't enjoying it. Right. Wrote about it and got inundated with response from people who said how honest it was to admit it because it t- appears as a real stigma, particularly among older people who have a great deal of pride and don't want to be pitied at, at all. Mm. But um, it seemed to me that a helpline might well provide company, friendship, and some sort of reason to get up in the morning and get out and have a look at the world. So that's what we're doing. And that's taking up a lot of my time alongside Childline. Mm. And then one of these um, companies creating community television. I don't know whether there's one in Luton, but um, there's one in the Solent and in um, the New Forest, and there's one in Oxford. And they've asked me to come and be their control of programmes and rather rather cheekily they've called their company That's Media. Oh, I see what they've done there. Sneaky, yes. With a result that everybody is now saying, oh, Ashley, you're bringing back That's Life. Which, with some pleasure, may I say. Yeah. But, you know, bosses are bosses are bosses and I think they probably feel that the wrinkles on my face preclude me doing anything on a regular basis on television and you know, like many people of my age, I've got such a full life that I'm not sure I won necessarily. So I was offered a Saturday morning program, but to be in the same place every Saturday when you've got yeah. a new grandson and plenty of things to do is quite difficult. And, so, and, and, and grandson and uh, mother are well and healthy? Oh, yeah. There we go. That's all we can ask for. Listen, go, enjoy being a grandmother. It, 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 it kind of brought my mum back to life when uh, grandchildren were introduced in the family. Thank you very much. Esther Ranson there. Uh, fantastic. She, she should be on TV again. I was uh, hearing yesterday that Michael Aspel is, it, can't get a job on TV. Well, uh, duh, hello. TV execs, put those two together. You've got an instant hit. Aspel and Ranson together on the same show. That's obviously a hit, isn't it? Surely. Well, we've been talking about middle age, and our reporter, Justin Dealey, has has been out there asking you, when does middle age begin? I think it begins at around 45. And I'm being very, very cheeky right now, but how old are you? Three years to go. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 72, is she going a bit above and beyond there, do you think? Um, Just a tad, I think, although you're as young as you feel. Well, here's somebody who's living the dream. We've got an airline pilot here. When do you think middle age begins, then? I don't know. If you'd have asked me about uh, 20 years ago, I'd have said sort of like 45. And now I'm grand old age of 45. It's probably... I'd, it keeps jumping 20 years forward uh, than I am now. So I'd have said, I don't know, 60. Yeah. If you've got the money, that is. Mm. If not, uh, it's, it's a lot about money. So the big question, where are you going today, then? Uh, that would be the big question. The mystery tour. No, I don't know. It's, it's the honest answer. Not yet, until I get a, until I get a, yeah, a phone call. Somewhere, hopefully, a bit hotter and a bit sunnier than, than here in Luton. Um, yeah, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping south of the equator, but the chances of that are very slim. I might have to borrow that jacket one day. It looks magnificent. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. So, in your opinion, sir, when do you think middle age officially begins? 
55. Uh, because I think that's about... People are living a lot longer these days. So Esther Ranson's views of 72, are they just quite ridiculous, would you say? I think that she's just sort of pandering to her own her own age, basically. <laughs> so that's pretty much yeah. what it is. Yeah, you said it, not me. No, I think she can afford to be young because she has a healthier lifestyle. Oh, interesting. You're, what, 47? Do you feel middle-aged? feel old. <laughs> why do you feel old? You, you actually look quite young, so, so why do you feel old? Career, I think. Having to get up early, work nights and shift work. Uh, Justin D there asking, uh, when do you feel middle-aged? You can give me a call, 08459 455 555. That's also the number to call to c- tell us your role models. And tomorrow, just to throw ahead very briefly to tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about couples that sleep in separate beds, or indeed separate rooms. So if that's you, just have a little think about it, and maybe we'll speak about it tomorrow. Uh, you can keep up to date with what BBC Three Counties Radio is doing on Tinternet. There's loads of stuff. If you go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR, uh, there's loads of stuff there. We're also on Twitter, at BBC 3CR. It's well worth following. There's lots of updates about this show and all the other bits and pieces, Jonathan and uh, Nick and Roberto and all of those things. So definitely worth going and having a look uh, at those. 08459 455 555 role models. I do feel a bit embarrassed that my role model, as I've said, is Bruce Lee. You're all coming on and doing nice ones. Like, oh, he's my dad. My dad was a very brave man. I'm going, yeah, I like Bruce Lee, because where the dragon is, like, wicked. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. I'm very excited, because uh, later on in the show, we'll be talking about gadgets and smart homes and things like that. And someone is bringing in, and I can see it in the next room, a robot hoover. I'm well excited. A robot hoover, dear listeners. Can't wait to play with that. That's going to be fun. It's 7.45. It's Wednesday, the 24th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The former England captain, John Terry, has announced he's quitting international football hours before he's due to appear before an FA disciplinary panel on racism charges. The Vauxhall van plant in Luton has been closed today for a week of downtime due to a slump in demand for vehicles across Europe. In sport... Wickham are set to make a further statement today after Gary Waddock was sacked following their League 2 defeat at home to AFC Wimbledon. Your weather today for beds, hearts and butts. Bucks, cloudy and windy with outbreaks of rain. Heavy at times, drier and brighter in the afternoon. And coming up, have you ever fancied turning your dishwasher or your cooker on from outside your house? Why would you not? It could soon be a possibility. Find out more in a few minutes. BBC Three Counties Radio. 459 455 555 is the telephone number. Now, have you ever fancied turning your dishwasher or your cooker on when you're not even in the house? Well, if you're in Milton Keynes, the home of the future, you can. In the first trial of its kind, the aim is to save money and energy. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, went along to Alison Brock's home in Wavendon Gate to see how it all worked, starting with the kettle. Right, okay, so we filled up the kettle. Can you demonstrate to me how you remotely put that kettle on without sure. physically putting it on? Sure. So you go to your computer. That's right. And you click on kettle. That's right, yes. You find the actual appliance that you want to do it. So what I'm going to do is so I can actually... I'll have to have put the button down, so I will power it off at the moment. So that's powered off the actual socket. Um at that point, you'd put down the actual depression of the kettle to have the button on. 
you know, your on button of the kettle. So if I do that now, the kettle's on, but it's not Oh, boiling. I see. Oh, okay. I see. Right. If I press power on to actually turn the socket on, the kettle should start so boiling. So now, in theory, the kettle should start boiling. Yes. Right. Okay. So if we go back to the kitchen and, sure enough, the kettle, boiling kettle. is boiling. I see. Okay, so it's all done via the sockets. Yes. The sockets. Yeah, the, the sockets, sockets control it. So effectively, you have to turn, turn the whatever machine on, but you just right. power it off remotely and power it on remotely. That's it. That's exactly it, and that's exactly the kind of thing you do with a washing machine as well. Is it really worth it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's worth it with some of the bigger appliances, such as the washing machine. So I could set that going. I know many of them have timers nowadays. But if I was at work, for example, and I knew I, it, I, I was going to be out and I didn't know exactly what time I'd come back, I could, for example, actually power it on, have it set up to go and power it on for when exactly I wanted to come home and have the washing all done, ready to hang out if it was a nice yeah. day. I mean, the other thing the smart appliances do, as well as actually um, allowing you to turn things on and off, they do actually monitor your energy. So actually, every time I turn the kettle on, it records through that socket and feeds into the, the um, portal on, mm, on the computer. On the computer, yeah. Exactly what, what, I, what that just used. So I could now tell you exactly how much boiling that kettle just cost me. And so where do we go from here, Alison? Are you going to get to keep all this what happens? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, go further. <laughs> well, there's there's the second part of the trial now. We're just going into the second phase of the trial, which is they're actually going to put some more monitoring equipment on our central heating system. Well, there you go. It's Tony Fisher speaking to Alison Brock, whose house is like a house from the future. Turning the kettle on by remote control. It's a little bit lazy because it only takes a minute anyway. Get my wife to do it. Well, Gail Sanderson is uh, a, a gadget expert. No, she's not. She's on the news team here at Three Counties, and you are now officially our lazy correspondent because it turns out you're very hard worker here at Three Counties, but in real life, you're quite lazy. I suppose I am. I'm not lazy. I'm efficient. That's where it is. An efficient use of my time. The whole office was up in arms when it turned out. You went, yeah, I've got a, a, I've got a robot, Hoover. What's the problem with that? And you have, haven't you? It's amazing. Yeah, and a few of my friends have got them as well. Perhaps we're all quite lazy. See, I didn't know that brilliant. These, I didn't know... You brought it in with you, your iRobot... Why do they put I in front of everything these days? I don't get that. What's that about? Well, it's iRobot. You know, it's supposed to make us think it's the future. Right. You know, uh, when you think iRobot, you think of a robot that looks like a human being that's going to yeah. come and serve you gin and tonic. Well, it's that not. doesn't, I'm afraid. It's like, a, it's like a big metal frisbee. Yeah. Pretty much. Why did you... <laughs> I genuinely think this is brilliant. Why did you get it? What was the inspiration? Uh, my old Hoover broke, yeah. and I was fed up at Hoovering, yeah. and I hate Hoovering, I really hate it. And I saw that, and I thought, brilliant, it can Hoover. That's not the story well, you I'm just told there. me off air. <laughs> you saw a Rock Hudson film, he's oh, got yeah. a robot Hoover. And the other thing was, when I was a kid, <laughs> it really stuck in my mind. There's a film with Rock Hudson and Doris Day, and I can't remember what it's called, but he's into technology, and she goes in his kitchen, it's immaculate, and he's got a robot Hoover that comes out, and yeah. it eats her slipper, and it's all very funny. But I just <laughs> always wanted a Hoover like that <laughs> so we've got the hoover and we, we've th we've scattered some debris on the floor bit of flotsam and jetsam i'm yeah. going to turn the hoover on and it's going to hoover that up is it hopefully it will it's not perfect right. there we go so it's off it's quite noisy there we go it's it's gone into the wall it's going towards it's going towards the debris it's gone past the debris and has made no effort to touch it it's nudging my man bag 
That's not what you think. The thing about all these things is they drive you slightly insane if you watch them all the time. When you first get it, you just sit there, watch it all the time, but it's got its own rhythm. So it works its way around the room and it hits things and then it goes back. But if you watch it all the time, you just keep shouting at it. You've missed a bit, you've missed a bit, because it takes... it. It's blind, isn't it's it? It's going so nowhere near the so rubbish. Much. You're listening to BBC Three Counties, the first for news. I think Nick Grimshaw's just got another hundred listeners. <laughs> He's not got a hoover going on in his studio, has he? It's going nowhere near the rubbish! Right, I'm going to pick it up, I'm going to cheat. Are you allowed to pick it up? Yeah, yeah, pick it up. Yeah, you can do what you like with it. Right, OK, now pick it up, I'm putting it on the rubbish. It's, it's, let's see what happens. OK. It, it's doing it! Oh Is no, it, the rubbish? It, it spat it back out. It's not cleared up anything! Yeah, it's good at dust, it's, it's not... It's taken some rubbish over there! It's moved the rubbish around! What you have to do is programme it to come out in the middle of the night and then it won't drive you mad. Is that what you do? You, you, yeah. you set it to go off at like three in the morning and it... Yeah, and then it doesn't drive you slightly It's crazy. not picked up anything! Oh, it's picked up a little bit, but ignored that, right. Thanks very much. How much did that cost? I don't know, I bought it about five years ago. A couple of hundred quid, though. <laughs> <laughs> you were totally wrong. No, it, look, it's brilliant. I'm sure it would be more effective uh, if it were not under these situations. Gail, thank you very much for coming in and bringing in your robot vacuum cleaner. It's very, very kind of you. There we go. If you've got any uh, s- smart gadgets like that, 08459 455 555. My tongue is slightly in my cheek. I love stuff like that. Are you OK? You take it out. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> I love stuff like that. I would happily have one of those uh, in my house. But my wife, my wife would kill me. She'd accuse me of being lazy. But stuff like that, this is, what, this is what we should be having in the 21st century. Now, the Lib Dem conference is underway, and it's going to be a tricky one for Nick Clegg and the party leadership. Last week, he had to apologise for pledging to block tuition fee increases, which have now trebled under the coalition. So how does that sit with the Lib Dems? Sam Fisk from Bedford is a 19-year-old, and this is already his third Lib Dem conference. He's on the line now. Good morning, Sam. Hi, good morning. What's the feeling like around the conference? Because the Lib Dems have been bruised a bit in the last few months, haven't they? Yeah, it's been a difficult two and a half years, really. Um, and the extent of the mood is, is quite different to the last conference. The last conference was, was quite a down mood, but uh, since the apology uh, and seeing uh, uh, our Liberal Democrat policies in government actually starting to work now, um, there's a bit of a good mood around uh, around conference, but we've got two and a half years left, and we think we can win back a lot of seats in that time. Do you really think you can win back those seats in that time? Because it would appear from the outside that yeah. the Lib Dems have sort of become a joke to a lot of people. Um, I, don't, I don't feel that at all. I mean, I do a lot of door-knocking around Bedford, and actually our vote to go up for the mayoral election there in the last election. People really like our local Liberal Democrats, and that's the way for us to win back trust. People weren't happy with Nick Clegg. Mm. They still like their local councillors. And I'm really hopeful that we can win back votes. The but thing yeah, is... Oh, the, 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 Lib Dem, the Lib Dem council numbers are, are down to their lowest since the party started. They lost something like 40% in the last election. No, absolutely. And that, that's been a big issue. I'm just talking from my experience right. with Bedford, is that on the doorstep we've had a really good reception. And I think that's the big issue now, is winning back those local council seats. And I think we will do that. I think what we're seeing now is actually the policy is starting to come into effect. Mm. But the people premium, we're now doubling that to £600 for each of the poorest students in the country. Uh, and uh, child, child uh, care for the two to four years old. So I think now we're going to start to see those policies come in and people actually see, hang on, these Liberal Democrats can make a difference in government. You're a student. Uh, you, obviously, you, you hang out with other students. How yep. do you and they feel about the Lib Dems' change of position on student fees? 
Uh, we are I'm, I'm at university um, campus, and there, there was a lot of hostility towards it. But what I've realized is, um, I mean, I was in a seminar for social policy, and we were discussing it. At the beginning, the teacher said, uh, the, the tutor said, uh, hands up here who thought that the nutrition fees policy is unfair than the last one, and everyone put their hands up. But after an hour of discussing it and actually looking at the policy, the same question was asked at the end, and everyone then didn't put their hands up. Everyone agreed the new policy was fairer. So I think it's just about getting the message across and actually saying, okay, this tuition fees, I mean, I don't personally agree with it being tripled, but actually it's a fairer policy. And more but he went back, like, I guess the thing that's upset so many people, Sam, is that he went back yeah. on, on the pledge. Yeah, um, and I, 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 I was wrong with him, and he was right to apologise for that. He, he let a lot of people down. And I think now it's about him trying to win back that trust, and it starts with that apology and the song as well. So this is your third conference, uh, uh, Sam. So I'm guessing, what, you, you started going at 16, would that be right? Uh, no, no, like I started going, uh, the last one was last year, and that's spring one as well. So. Oh, okay, right, okay, so you go tomorrow, yeah. And uh, what, what do your friends think about you being so involved in politics and going to conferences? Because I've been, I've been to, um, all of the major, uh, the conferences, and there are some fun bits. They can be a little bit dull at times. Do, do, do your friends kind of look at you oddly for, for indulging <laughs> in this? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a, a bit of fans and a few jokes with me, but I, I, they're pretty supportive and they, they, they kind of think it, you know, doing radio and, and stuff, they, they think it's pretty, pretty nice. Um, I can still talk about football and music with them, all about politics, but yeah, it's, it's a bit weird. What music is a young Lib Dem into these days? <laughs> uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit of a Reading Festival girl, I've been in the past four years, so... I don't think that's really quite representative of, of uh, Liberal Democrats. Oh, it, does, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's, it's all <laughs> good stuff. Uh, and listen, Nick Clegg, he's not long in his job, is he? Do you, do you think it's something that you could possibly at some point in the future be up for, do you reckon? Um, no, I, I, don't really, I don't really fancy the public uh, disliking me like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> nah, I, well, well, you've admitted it. You've said it there. The public don't like him, do they? No, they don't. The opinion polls don't like him at the moment. That's why I think... But I think it's changing now. But, yeah, as you said, people aren't happy with him at the moment. But I'm hopeful two and a half years later on, people are going to come round to him again. Sam, listen, thank you very much for coming on the line. That's Sam Fisk. He's from Bedford. He's 19 years old, and uh, he's uh, at his third Lib Dem conference. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's coming up to 8 o'clock in the next hour of the show. More on John Terry. Talking about being middle-aged and more of your role models. All after the news with Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Monday the 24th of September. Three minutes past eight. Lots coming up in the last hour of the show. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will come in and tell us what's happening on his show. Talking more about John Terry and asking who are your role models? I feel a bit embarrassed. I came out and said mine was Bruce Lee and you're all going, well, it's my granddad. He really taught me about life. <laughs> yeah, and there's me going, yeah, I like Bruce Lee because, like, you know, Enter the Dragon's good. 08459 455 555. Who are your role models? And if you're over 40, you're past it. It's not scientific research, that's me saying it. 81333, start your text 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, John Terry has quit international football just hours before his FA disciplinary hearing. The Chelsea player says he can't carry on playing for England whilst the FA pursues racism charges against him. We talk now to Hertfordshire's Mick Dennis. He's a football writer at the Daily Express. Morning, Mick. Morning, Ian. What do you make of Terry's decision? Um, 
I think he's jumped before he's pushed. Uh, that's not uh, preempting the uh, decision of the inquiry, but um, I think he sat and watched Chelsea from the bench at the weekend as they went uh, clear at the top of the table. And like a lot of players at that stage in their career, thought, well, I'd better concentrate on my club career. He's had this issue hanging over him since uh, October of last year and I think he thought um, I'll, I'll grab some moral high ground I think it's a very clear a PR move to, to make the announcement ahead of the um, inquiry there's, there's lots of misunderstandings about this I mean the, the um, people are saying well on the FA charge he's only got to be it's only got to be probable that that's not right um, as, as everybody understands in a criminal court it's um, summarised as uh, guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Um, but in the criminal court, you've got the peril of perjury. You can compel witnesses to attend. Mm. Um, in, a, in, a, in any civil proceedings, um, the, the burden of proof is described as the balance of probability. But it doesn't mean probable. It means, you know, after rigorous investigation and, and consideration, you think that uh, the case is is very much probable um, and and um, my sympathies are with the FA on this, I mean it's not uh, not popular to defend the FA but my sympathies are with them because the whole, it, the real problem about this has been how long it's been delayed, as I say this was the match that calls this was October of last year but it was but once, it, once criminal charges had been laid because a member of the public complained um, it was Chelsea who asked for the adjournment, and it was an extraordinarily long adjournment. Mm. Um, I'm a magistrate in Hertfordshire. I don't speak for the magistracy, and I'm not meant to sort of express opinions about cases, and I, w I wouldn't do, but it is very, very rare for a case to be postponed as long as it was on, on the behest of any of the parties, because the whole principle is, is that justice should be as speedy as possible. So that long delay was on Chelsea's behest, and, and that has complicated matters enormously. The FA haven't made any comment, have they, on, on John Terry stepping down from his international career? What do you think they might make of it? Well... <laughs> I, I think Roy Hodgson will be disappointed because Hodgson had gone out on a limb to support him like 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 previous managers i think it's I think it's very interesting that that managers who have John Terry admire his qualities so much that they, that, that uh, they do put themselves out on a limb to to uh, to, to be on his side Hodgson will be disappointed I think the FA will will want want to get this whole episode uh, behind them but it's it the issue of of um um, um, using racial epithets in in football, um, it, it, you know, it's an important one to the FA because because they are the guardians of, of the whole game. You mentioned uh, that I'm a, I'm a referee on Parks football, and, mm. and you know, it is a it is a very very important issue, bigger bigger than one man's um, England career, which was nearing its end anyway. Mick, if you can just stay on the line, we've got Phil Slatter on the line, who is a sports fan. He's from the Wickham Independent Supporters Club. Okay. And Phil, you, you disagree with Mick uh, about supporting the FA, don't you? Yeah, I, I just think that Terry's been treated quite badly by the FA, to be perfectly honest. First of all, they stripped him of the captaincy when he hadn't been found guilty of anything. And now he's been found not guilty in a court of law and the FA for some reason seem to think they're above the law of the land, which is very strange, and uh, ultimately I think that's led to his decision, and 
Personally, I don't really blame him for it. Well, they don't don't think they're above the law of of the land. That's not not the case at all. The, 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 um, The issue of whether or not they should have stripped him of the captaincy again is a misunderstanding of, of how the legal system works in this country. People, people use the phrase innocent until proven guilty. Actually, actually the presumption of, of innocence, all that that means is it, it's so that if you and I or I were charged with something, the burden of proof lies, with, lies entirely with the, with the police and the prosecution. It doesn't mean that once I've been charged with something, no action can be taken against me. I think, think of course, of, of you know, teachers being charged with things and, 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 and murderers being, being um, held in custody. The pres- presumption of innocence doesn't mean nothing can happen until the case is heard. And, and so with, with the England captain being charged with racially uh, insulting a fellow professional, it was absolutely inevitable that he couldn't couldn't captain England while that was hanging over, over him. The, the civil, the the criminal case was an entirely different charge as well. Uh, and matters have been complicated by that criminal case, as I said, but largely because Chelsea Chelsea left it hanging hanging over him for so long. Phil, it's not uncommon in you know for for <coughs> cases to, to be found not guilty in court but then it goes to a civil case later on and a slightly different decision can be made no that, that, that is true and um, you know ultimately I suppose we're going to have to see what actually happens with this charge because unless we say he could still be found not uh, not charged well he's been charged by the FA but um, he could be found not guilty yeah. by them as well but I think ultimately the, the whole thing's gone on as you mentioned earlier since the matches of October last year I think but that's Chelsea's yeah. fault that's not that's not the FA's fault yeah I know Chelsea's but fault. the whole thing's just been going on for, for too long and Phil I think do you John think do you, had enough. do you think John Terry was right to step down or do you think he should have you know d- 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 maybe toughened up a bit and, and fought back I think maybe he's just a bit tired of it to be honest I mean he's been stripped of the England captaincy twice now and I think he, he probably hoped that after the um, civil case the um, court case in the court of law that he thought you know that that would be the end of it and now he's sort of been dragged up again for whatever reason and uh, I think ultimately he's just decided he's had enough Mick, there have been a lot of casualties uh, about this incident. Mm. Fabio Capello resigned over it. Rio yeah. Ferdinand effectively dropped because of, of Terry. Now, John Terry's retirement from international football. Could the FA have handled things a bit better, Mick? Well, uh, you see, the whole... No, no. There's an incident at the match. It's shown um, on, on uh, around the world because of a, a phone clip. Uh, they, they cannot possibly ignore it. Mm. And then the timing is set in motion, all of the timing set in motion by Chelsea asking for a several month adjournment of the criminal case so so the fa well the fa cannot ignore it before or afterwards because that would be a derogation of their duties look at look at it the other way if 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 Chelsea, if, if, if the fa had said you know what um, we're not going to do anything and uh, okay there's been there's been a, a court case so we, we won't have our own inquiry it, you imagine the outrage there would be from liverpool over uh, 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 following the suarez verdict it, it's just ridiculous to suggest that the fa shouldn't have gone through their own processes the problem occurs because there is there is uh, there's a sort of tacit arrangement agreement between um uh, for, for sports generally and the law. Most sports urge police, let, let us deal with it. And that's been football's case over, over all sorts of issues. But the law of the land isn't suspended when, when people c- 
cross the, the line onto, on, and occasionally there are criminal prosecutions, and it always complicates matters. But but uh, you know that's that's the case in in every sporting contest. I can remember you know some famous uh, criminal prosecutions in, in for, for football matters. It does make things more complicated, but but it doesn't absolve the football association of their own responsibilities. Phil. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Um, but um, you know, ultimately, like you say, the instance dragged on too long. So maybe that is Chelsea's fault, and maybe Terry should look at that. But I, I think it's just you know one thing. It's just been one thing after another with this case, isn't it? You know, we've had there's the first incident, and we had him stripped of the captaincy, and then Ferdinand, and then you know now it's come back, and ultimately, you know, <laughs> the whole thing's just been. A, Sorry, case of football, um, yeah. and there are uh, probably a lot of people that have got to answer that. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a shame that, like you say, so many people have had to resign. You know, Capello and Fernand getting dropped, and now Terry. And um, maybe it's probably a good thing that hasn't just been brushed under the carpet um, to that end, because it's maybe an issue that needs to be highlighted. Yeah. Phil, while I've got you online, you are from the Wickham Independent Supporters Club. I just wanted a, yeah. a, a quick thought on, on Gary Waddock getting, getting sacked from uh, being manager of uh, Wickham. How do you feel about that? Um, ultimately, the right decision. Yeah. Um, I think it's just been gone on a bit, bit too long now, and the start of this season's been so poor, and the performance on Saturday, was it was absolutely appalling. It Who do you think should get the job? I haven't got a specific name. Um, there's been a few names branded about, but um, I just think we need somebody that's going to go back to basics, get the players playing in position, get them doing the basics right, marking the set pieces, passing the ball better, holding the ball better. Um, uh, you know, there are any one of a number of people that could do that, and I think the most important thing that we needed, we just needed the change because whatever Gary Wadder was trying just clearly wasn't working. Phil, listen, you've obviously got a young one there that needs some attention. Off you go, sir. Thank you very much. That's Phil Slatter, who is uh, from the Wickham Independent Supporters Club. And before that, we were speaking to uh, Mick Dennis, who is a football writer at the Daily Express. It's 8.16. It's Monday, the 24th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Yorkshire police have launched a murder inquiry after uh, finding the body of a Luton man in a van near York yesterday. The former England captain, John Terry, will face a Football Association racism charge later today, hours after ending his England career. In sport, Wickham are set to make a further statement today after the sacking of manager Gary Waddock following their League 2 defeat at home to AFC Wimbledon. We'll have weather shortly with Steve and coming up, a Bedfordshire restaurant owner convicted of arranging sham marriages is due to be sentenced today. We'll hear more about that after 8.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. So hang on a second, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. What? These drinky poos that happened on Friday that I thought it was just the kids who work here that went. No, I was there. You were there? I was there. Nick Coffer was there. So, like, like the stars of Three Counties were there, yet <laughs> I wasn't. You were... I wondered uh, where you were. Where were you? I, on, on Friday, I was at home crying because I knew these drinks were taking place, but I hadn't received a formal invitation. What are you talking about? I had no one... Ad- but I, would, I would be... This is true, dear listener. I'm only you here, and I, I, I felt like I was being bullied. I was so sat in the office and everyone around me was talking about these drinks so they're going so Danny you going yeah um Emma you going? yeah Ollie you going and not one person said Ian you, you coming wow. no one asked me so you could have come I mean I, I probably wouldn't have but it would I don't like going out <laughs> but it would have been nice to have been asked I was there did you have a good time I was very funny 
I don't believe that for a no, second. No, actually, I wasn't because I was. Uh, ben I wasn't writing your script. I was the designated driver on Friday. <laughs> oh, Dad. Yeah, I was the designated driver. So <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't much fun. But you, but you had a, a lovely time there. What did, were people talking about me there? What were they saying, John? Oh, yeah. What did they say? No, I can't tell. You know what stays at the drinks? What was said at the drinks stays at the drinks. <laughs> Think some of the drinks yeah. may have been brought yeah. with you this yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah, bad. what's happening on your um, award award winning show? Is it one awards? Yeah, for the time being, it's yes. award winning. Yeah. Okay, what's, what's happening on your award-winning show this morning? Well, coming up on my award-winning show this morning, should you be expected to help your children buy a house? Yeah, good. What do you reckon? Um, just off the cuff, I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet. You just, yes. Yeah, good. Uh, a new scheme is being drawn up by the government to help young people get onto the property ladder. The Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, said parents and grandparents could use their pensions as a guarantee for deposits. He was speaking in Brighton, where the Lib Dems are holding their annual conference. So the idea is, then, yeah. that when you become, as a parent, so you'll have to do this yourself. Yes. When you get to retirement age, as opposed to collecting your pension right. every week or every month or however, however it's paid, you'll accept a lump sum payment instead, yeah. and you then give that to your children, and they'll then use that to, as a deposit to buy a house. Good idea. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, kind of. That's a terrible idea. Why is that a terrible idea? I'm not going to give my kids my pension. It's what? my pension. How else are your children supposed to buy a house in this day and age? Go and get a job. Go and get a job. What if your children have a job, but yeah, even you're right. that is not enough I'm, to buy a house? I'm being slightly flippant. I, I love my kids, but I'm not going to give them my pension. Well, That's not happening. Do you think you should be expected to give them your pension? No, I, I will make a contribution towards a deposit, but I'm not going to give them my... Uh, are we going to fall out of this? We're actually no, no, having no, an no, argument, no, aren't we? No, no, it's all right. It's all right. I'm just, uh, just, I'm just <laughs> judging you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jonathan, how do people get in touch if they want to do, to argue? Oh, yeah, you? I want your views on this this morning. Should you be expected to help your children buy a house? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You see, you'll have your nice house yeah. by that point. Where you yes. can just sell that, downsize, you I, live I, off that money. I could possibly downsize a little bit. I'm, I, listen, I will help my kids out. Of course, I will. They're not getting their hands on my pension. Oh, that's the only thing I've got to look forward to. That and, and swearing a lot at bus stops when oh. I get older. Right. Uh, well, from nine, we'll see if people also agree with your rather selfish attitude. Awkward. Very awkward, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Not at nine o'clock there. I don't know if I should be listening this morning. <laughs> if you've got to talk to me like that, for goodness sakes. Don't forget, you can get in touch anytime <clears throat> during the show. 08459 455 555. Or you can text 81333. Cite your text 3CR. Uh, we've got two texts about the John Terry situation. Both coming from very different opinions. Uh, Maria Milton Keane says, Ian, everyone keeps going on about JT's case, forgetting that the court has already found him not guilty. Well, I, I have made a point of mentioning that whenever we need to. Want to talk about racism? How about Ferdinand calling Ashley Cole a chock ice? Racism is not limited to white-fleshed. I'm not surprised John quit. He must be so sick of this now. And let's face it, he does not need the money. So why keep putting himself through this kind of hassle? Uh, and Cynthia in High Wycombe says, Terry thinks he is above the law. He's been allowed to get away with too much. Good riddance to an overrated player. Well, it, it, as we said, Cynthia, the law has found him not guilty. And also, is this... Uh, have I got this right? I don't know if I've got this right. OK, so I, I, we'll see. Someone told me this and I didn't believe it. That when these footballers that play for Chelsea, whatever, and they earn £200,000 a week, when they play for England, they don't get any money for it. They don't get paid for playing for England. Is that right? Isn't that incredible? They don't get any money for it. So, you know, you kind of might as well just go, yeah, all right, I'm not going to... But they get a cap. Like an actual cap you put on your head. What use is that? They could buy, like, a load of caps. They're millionaires. 
We don't want a rubbish-free one. Oh, eight four five nine. Can I just say, I'm really surprised I held my own in that football conversation earlier on. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Now, this is interesting. The Vauxhall van plant in Luton is closed all this week. All the workers have been sent home, but they do get paid. The reason behind this is that the demand for vehicles across Europe has slumped. Well, Professor David Bailey is a uh, motor industry expert. He joins me now. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Uh, can you explain exactly what's happening at Vauxhall? Well, it's happening across the whole industry, so it's not just Vauxhall. The European car market is down massively. It's in its worst state for 20 years, down by 8% this year. In the Eurozone periphery, down by 25%. So it's, it's pretty dismal. And what it means is that the producers are building up huge stocks. That's affected Vauxhall, Ford, uh, General Motors more widely, also Renault. They're all having to close some plants temporarily. In fact, the only European producers making any money in Europe right now are the Germans. Everybody else is losing money. Why, why are the Germans doing so well with the, gold, the Volkswagens and stuff? Uh, but yeah, they've basically got excellent cars, which they've been able to kind of take the technology, apply it across different brands. So think Volkswagen, Audi, Seat, Skoda. Underneath it is the same car. That means they can get their costs right down. Also, they're you know really well engineered. Plus, they've moved up market. You know, people are increasingly looking to buy a BMW or a Mini or a, a you know a, a Daimler car if they can afford it. So they've they've kind of got their market just right. Uh, they're also supported a lot by the government. The rest of the industry, where they're desperately scrapping around for sales, is discounting heavily. And what Vauxhall are doing, quite rightly, saying, look, it's better not to produce for a week so we don't build up a huge number of stocks of cars and then we have to discount it and lose money on them. So it's better doing this than having a stop-start over the winter. But then, uh, I am slightly confused by this, David. David, it may be because I'm an idiot, so perhaps you can help. But they are having to come back and work those days. So they're not getting seven, they're not getting a week off, are they? they they're going to work those days later on in the year, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And this is, this is how, in, in effect, I mean, the workers at Luton and at Elmsley Port have been absolutely excellent. They were, you know, they were, not very long ago, there were threats over the plants. And part of the deal to save them, keep them in the UK, was the workers agreeing to work very, very flexibly. So these are probably the most flexible, efficient workers mm. in General Motors in Europe. So basically they're told, don't work this week. Those hours are effectively banked for the company. You've got to come, come back later and work them. And it's that willingness of the workers and the management to bend over backwards, which has kept the plant open and made sure there's investment coming into it in the future. And I genuinely hope that you know, this isn't a sign that there's going to be a further restructuring at General Motors and more threats to plants across Europe. You know, these are very efficient plants and there's medium-term investment going into them. What does the future for Vauxhall look like? Well, that's a big question, really. I think that what General Motors in Europe have said is that they're, they're looking at a planned closure and the speculation about Bochum in Germany. I personally don't think that's enough. I think they're probably going to have to cut more capacity. The question there is where will the cuts take place? I'm, I'm pretty confident that the plants in the UK are protected from that for all the reasons we've just discussed and because the company has said there's investment coming in for new models. So these are very efficient, successful plants. What, what the company can do is really sweat the assets in the UK, certainly at Elmsmere Port, if things go well, they'll be moving to sort of 24-7 working, three shifts a day, really increase their output and improve efficiency. And that's how we can hang on to this industry. And what's the mood like amongst these workers? I don't know if you've spoken to them specifically, but are they feeling optimistic about this? Depressed? Well, what's the, what's the going on there? I haven't spoken to any workers at, at Luton, but certainly workers in other parts of the company. I think they kind of understand what's going on. Uh, they realise that this is happening across the industry. Their view is that they've got to do their bit to make sure that the company can, t- can 
continue to function uh, in the UK. I mean, the UK car industry has done very well over the last couple of years in bouncing back from the deep recession in 2009. Output has been up. You know, that's helped the industry dramatically. The dark cloud on the horizon is the Eurozone. If that isn't sorted out, it will have an impact here in the UK. David, thank you very much. Fascinating stuff there. It's Professor David Bailey, who is a motor industry expert. Uh, again, I've, I've said this before. You lot are fantastic. I just talked about England players, and they don't get a fee. Ian and Flitter has called in to set me straight. Ian, do, do play people, if they play for England, get a fee? As far as I'm aware, they get, they get a fee for appearing for England, but all the England players donate that money to the Bobby, Bobby Moore Fund. Ian, can I ask you a question? Are you on hands-free or speakerphone or something? Yeah, I'm on hands-free. OK, good, good, OK. We'll, we'll do, keep this very brief, because it sounds terrible. So they, they, how much of a fee do they get? Um, I don't actually know how much they, how, how much they get, but I remember watching a documentary once about Bobby Moore, and it was saying all the England players get paid for England. They all give their money to the Bobby Moore Fund. OK, well, we, 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 we'll, we'll let you go, because the line is, 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 is pretty poor, but we will maybe investigate this a bit further as the show progresses. So the England players do get a fee, but they donate it to the Bobby Moore Foundation. Be honest. We're, we're getting paid. There's no, no great big loss, is it, for, for John Terry to step down? It's not as if he's, he's, he's losing out on thousands of pounds a week. 08459 455 555. If you can clear up the mess of the England players and their fees, who'd have thought it? Uh, and also, there's another half an hour of the show, so I, I'm really keen to find out your role models. Someone on Twitter has, has said, and I, I believe this, but I don't know why they will put this. Who is it? Um, oh, Paul Stewart. My role model was you. Honest. Well, okay, first of all, there's two things. Why me? And why was it me? Why, is it, why have I stopped being your role model, for goodness sakes? 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Catherine. Last half hour of the show before Jonathan Vernon-Smith. We'll be talking uh, smart homes. More on John Terry and a little bit on sham marriages in a bit. We've got a text... Um, Pete in Pollock's Hill, who uh, agrees with our last caller that England players do get paid, but they all donate the payment to charity and have done so for at least 10 years now. Okay. How much is it, though? Is it like a stipend? Or is it proper money? Oh, wait, 459 455 555 is the telephone uh, number if you want to give us a call on that. Uh, we're also talking uh, about role models. We're asking. Um, Football players are not really role models anymore these days. So who were, who are your role models? Eight one three double three. You can start your text three uh, CR, and we'll read those out before the end of the show. But loads of people calling in saying, "Well, yeah, it was my dad, it was my gran," and there's me going, "Yeah, it was Bruce Lee." Not quite so impressive. A Bedfordshire restaurant owner convicted of arranging sham marriages is due to be sentenced today. Giash Adin, who's from Luton, Luton, used his restaurant business to help Bangladeshi men gain UK residency by marrying them off to EU citizens. Mark Ribber from Hertfordshire is a spokesperson for the Registration Service Association, which represents the interests of registrars. Morning, Mark. Good morning. Mark, Good morning. How, how widespread is this problem? Uh, it's incredibly widespread. I mean, in every major conurbation, um, particularly London and the home counties, it's an incredibly difficult problem. Um, we, we, we're talking of thousands of such marriages per annum. And has it got worse in recent years? 
Yeah, the government, the previous government, introduced legislation back in 2004 to try and combat the problem, and it did tend to work for a while. Unfortunately, that legislation was challenged in the High Court. The government was forced to repeal it um, under the Human Rights Act, and that was in May 2011. And since May 2011, I think we've seen an exponential rise in, in the cases that we're seeing across the country. How, listen, I'm going to, the only point of reference I got is the film Green Card, where it's two people trying to to, to have a marriage, and they go to such lengths to trick people. How hard is it to tell who is legitimate and who's a bogus couple? It, it, it is not, it's not easy. Sometimes it's incredibly easy. Sometimes when um, people haven't rehearsed, they haven't actually done their homework, um, there, there are even people coming into offices that don't even speak the same language no. and can't converse with each other. Really? It, it, it's that blatant. Um, oh on other God. occasions, then, you've got play to people who are who have done their homework, they may have paid a bit more for the service, I mm. suspect, to the arranger, um, and then it becomes more difficult, and registrars have a difficult job in trying to have a very subjective opinion uh, about whether they think a marriage is a sham. You've got all, the, all the, the hallmarks are a foreign national who's subject to immigration control or whose visa has expired. Marrying a European Union national would make alarm bells ring. And if you can then combine that with other factors, then all of a sudden you have got a potential sham marriage that needs reporting to the Home Office. And are, are registrars trained in, in things to look out for to spot a sham marriage? They do have some elements. I think training's probably far too strong a word. I think we do have some guidelines which actually give you pointers to the more blatant cases. I think the difficulty is that many registrars want to give couples the benefit of the doubt. Um, But this is a problem where we're talking probably 15,000 marriages a year. I mean, this is not small. It's a massive problem. And it's not like Green Card. Sometimes even the European Union nationals who are going through these sort of marriages are victims in themselves. Mm. They've been trafficked in for the sex industry, uh, for for drugs or whatever. And and they're being used as well as, as pawns in a very big racketeering game. How does it work, Mark? You're there, there's a couple standing in front of you. You are highly suspicious. Yeah. Do, do you stand up and say, look, I'm not prepared to go ahead with this? Or do you do it and, and then report it afterwards? That's the only powers we have as registrars at the moment. Right. Um, it, it is incredibly difficult. You have to, you know, with, through gritted teeth sometimes, actually do a wedding um, uh-huh. where you just know that this is a complete and utter nonsense. Uh, and you are forced to have to go through with it because anything else will be subjective opinion open to legal challenge uh, and then we then have to report our, our concerns to the UKBA to the border agency to see whether they can take any enforcement action after the event but after the event is probably in many cases mm. too late and what's the wider impact for the, of the growth in sham marriages would you say well the wider impact the, the, the scale of it is just immense mm. effectively our, our problems with immigration our um, d- difficulties with resources so our NHS care our schools our you know our hospitals our doctors are getting more and more people that aren't planned for these are people who are in the country generally not legally anyway so these can't be planned for so therefore if we're talking 15,000 at least a year mm. um, you know th- this is quite a big problem Mm, huge. The government, the government do, do are aware, and the government we are looking, with, working with government to try and get something done about this. Mark, fascinating. Thank you very much for that. It's Mark Rimmer. He's from Hertfordshire, and he's a spokesperson for the Registration Service Association, which represents the interests of registrars.
08459 555 or you can text 81333, start your text 3CR, and we've had a text uh, about the John uh, Terry situation. Let me just get that up on my screen. Uh, Anton Ferdinand has done his case no favours. After accusing John Terry of racial discrimination, he then does not agree with the verdict of, of the court. He then goes on to discriminate against two players by not shaking their hands. Now we have calls for more black managers and not because of merit. I I think it is because of merit. I I, I don't think anyone would want to have black managers just to have black managers and tick boxes. I think they they want them because there are people out there who are good enough uh, and it would seem that they're not giving the opportunity. Anyway, Pat continues. Wouldn't any club think of employing a black manager now think twice? I, uh, I'm, conf- I'm confused by this, this slightly rambling text. In case they were afraid to sack them due to poor results and because of the race car being played as a result of being sacked. Oh, Pat, that's, uh, it, it started off sort of making sense and it descended into what I think is, 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 is non- nonsense and fantasy, and of, of course. Listen, if there are uh, black uh, uh, potential managers that are not getting the jobs just because they're black, then that's wrong, isn't it? Pat, if they're good enough, then, then that is wrong. Of course, people wouldn't be afraid to sack them if they weren't getting the, the results because of the race card being... What is the race card being played, for goodness sakes? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, have you ever fancied turning your dishwasher on or your cooker on when you're not even in the house? I, I don't particularly fancy that, but it'd be good to be able to do it from my living room. I'd like that. If you had, like, a little pad and you go, right, kettle on, robot butler to make me a cup of tea. Ro- either a robot butler or a monkey butler. One of the two. I'd love that. Imagine a monkey butler little suit. Well, uh, sorry, going off on a, a whim there. If you're a Milton Keynes, you possibly could have this. Not the, the monkey butler, but turning things on in your house. In the first trial of its kind, the aim is to save money and energy. Well, Chris Rimmer is the programme manager for Eon's Thinking Energy Project. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Chris, why are you doing this trial? Well, Eon's always looking for ways to help its customers, and this trial, Thinking Energy is about increasing our understanding of how energy is used and managed in homes. Um, We're wanting to test this new smart home technology in real homes where real people have have real lives to live and ultimately put the power back into people's hands to take control of their energy costs, to increase their understanding and maybe make life a bit better. Where is this trial leading, Chris? I find it very exciting. Well, right now, um, as we're announcing, we're about 12 months in and we've really been looking at um, uh, electricity and gas use at a whole house level. Not robot butlers, but um, no, going that's... down to the appliance level too. Over the next 12 months or so, um, we're, uh, we're really interested in looking at heating technology, so being able to turn your heating on and off from your sofa or when you're out and, out and about, but also solar panels, maybe even electric vehicles, which is a, a key topic for Milton Keynes. So mm. um, we're really looking at trying to shape uh, the homes of the future, to help people perhaps have a more comfortable life or a more convenient life, or maybe just put them more in control of their energy bills. So, so tell me how this works, Chris. I'm out and about <laughs> with, uh, with my wife, and things are going well, and I, I want to make a cup of tea for her, but I can't be bothered to wait that 90 seconds for the kettle to boil, so I want to f- fire my kettle off at home before I get home. How do I do it? Well, the technology is really, really simple. We've got a little box that we plug into your broadband or internet router and then a series of small plug adapters. And basically, you can uh, plug your kettle or or whatever you're interested in controlling through this plug adapter. And then either on your laptop or computer or even on a smartphone or an iPad, 
you can call up that device, you can tell it to power on. And we've actually got someone in our trial, one of the families we're working with in Milton Keynes, who halfway around uh, a walk with the dog, pops the kettle on, switches the lights on when they're close to home, and everything's ready for them when they get there. Hang on, so it's, it's very doable and very simple. Chris, I've just thought of something. Isn't that potentially using more energy? Because if you miss time putting the kettle on, you'd have to put it on again, and you're turning the lights on when there's no one in the house. My mum always told me, if you're not in the room, turn the lights off. Well, I think it's a very good point, and uh, your mum's advice is something that we would uh, agree with. I think it comes down to what you're after as a customer, and that's why we're running this trial. So some people are more interested in comfort and convenience, so they want to be able to uh, turn things on and off. And that might use a tiny bit more energy, but for them, they think it's worth it. Other people in our trial are really going after bringing down energy costs. We've had someone who saved maybe £200 on their bill because they're, they're able to understand how to use their underfloor heating better. We've had other people who uh, have discovered that their oven isn't working quite as they thought. They've got it serviced, and that's meant that cooking is a lot cheaper. So the, the great thing about this system and what we're discovering from the feedback from these families is people will use it in different ways that's appropriate to them. Mm. Are you under pressure from uh, the EU or the government to make us all more environmentally friendly and save energy? Uh, not at all. Obviously, we'd agree um, with the push to make everything uh, more environmentally friendly. And, and clearly, significant parts of the energy industry are driven by government. I mean, your listeners will probably know E.ON as a supplier has to install smart meters at everybody's house by 2020. That'll help with estimated bills. But really, as a responsible supplier, we wanted to do something more than just this bare minimum. That's why we're taking the initiative with this trial we're looking at technology that brings intelligence into the house itself. It should really help customers make their lives easier. And in fact, uh, it's available right now as well uh, in the three counties area. So maybe some of your listeners might be interested in it. Um, it's now on sale as well as being trialled in Milton Keynes in these homes. It's fascinating. And, and just very quickly, the smart meters, this is where you, you, um, the, the meter reading kind of gets sent straight to the, the company. Does that mean we're going we're gonna to lose... The gas men, because I like the gas men and electricity men coming around. Are we going to get rid of them? Well, I think this is about um, meaning that people don't have to scrabble around in the cupboard to look after their meter readings. It makes it a bit more efficient and can mean that people get accurate bills. And what this trial is all about, really, is bringing that sort of technology into the homes, helping people tackle their underlying mm. consumption, um, making life more convenient and could, hopefully a bit better for we, everyone. We could lose jobs as a result of it. I, I guess that's possible, yes. OK, listen, thank you very much. That's Chris Rimmer, who uh, is the programme manager for Eon's Thinking Energy Project. Bits of that excite me, bits of that leave me scratching my head ever so slightly, but certainly uh, worth listening to. If, you, if you're in Milton Keynes and you're trying these uh, things, then do give us a call, 08459 455 555. It's 8.46, it's Monday the 24th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Yorkshire police have launched a murder inquiry after finding the body of a Luton man in a van near York yesterday. The former England captain, John Terry, will face a football association racism charge later today, hours after ending his England career. In sport, Wickham will make a further statement today following the sacking of manager Gary Waddock. Your weather today for Betts, Hearts and Bucks, cloudy and windy with outbreaks of rain, heavy at times, drier and brighter in the afternoon. Top temperature is 16 degrees and coming up, forecasters have warned that we could be in for some blustery weather over the next few days. Very shortly, we'll speak to a risk meteorologist from the High Wickham area about the forecast. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, this is In Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. We've had a text. Phil says, Robot butlers, 
Everybody knows that uh, monkey butlers are the future. He's right. A monkey butler. You can train them to do that. And they look so good in a velvet jacket. I know you're not meant to, but a velvet jacket and a bow tie. Now, we're talking. Uh, summer is officially over as heavy rain and gale force winds have been affecting parts of the UK. Winds of up to 60 miles per hour will hit the north of England and the south of Scotland, while other areas could see 80 millimetres of rain before Monday evening. Jim Dale is a risk meteorologist from the High Wycombe-based British Weather Services. Jim, what's a risk meteorologist? Um, we, good morning to you. We, morning. we look at um, we look at all risks associated with the weather. Um, the weather brings risks, of course, not just to not just to life, but also to um, commercial concerns, uh, sporting events. So we, because of that, you know, that's 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 the way we we title it. Risk mm. meteorologist means we look at the risks associated and help those with the risk to overcome the risk. That could be uh, it could be seasonal forecasts, it could be warnings, it could be insurance it could be any of those things that will help to alleviate the negativity of the weather there's a lot of rain coming jim what what, what are the risks involved here uh there's a lot of rain already happened yeah. uh, last yes, night was incredible where i uh, was yeah it, it, this is all pumping up from the south it's it's uh it's, it's almost semi-tropical stuff although it doesn't feel like <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, we've not got the warmth of the tropical no, rain i know it's it's wind and rain and there's a lot more to come as well so the risks the, the risks are maybe two or threefold. The first one is is, is a risk a risk to I'm not going to go too far and say a risk to life, but we've we've always got to be careful when we get this type of, of weather out. We've got our weather alerts out, and I've had them out for now three or four days. That have basically said that this is something you need to be careful in. Uh, obviously, localized flooding. The winds, that's the problem. The, the reason the winds are a problem, ordinarily maybe 30, 40 mile an hour winds. In certain areas of the country, 60, 70 mile an hour gusts. Uh, the problem this time of year is the trees are in full leaf, um, and therefore they're much more likely to, uh, much more likely to cop it, if you like, in other words, to come down with the winds than they would do if it was, say, winter time when they're bare. And, and therefore the risk is that much higher. Uh, well, there's a story in the mail today, page 11, about a woman killed by falling tree branch as, as Britain is battered. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It does, it, it does happen. Um, we always say sheltering under a tree isn't great, and uh, it mainly for lightning purposes, and that isn't to say we, we, we might not see a thundery burst in, in what's coming today, but uh, for that, for, the, for exactly the same reasons, um, you've just got to be careful as you tread and, care, and certainly mm. careful as you drive, uh, aquaplaning across uh, uh, sodden roads and hitting puddles that you don't think are there. It, it, it just en- enhances the risk to uh, uh, the, the, the road risk in terms of peril is concerned, but it goes, for, it goes further than that as well, the commercial risk. Nobody does much as, as yesterday Today and I, mean, I got to soak in at the, at the football. Um, I do a little bit of management and uh, for the juniors. Hang on, you should have known about it then, Jim. Oh, I, I know about it, but you can't you can't prevent it. You, you know, I tell everybody days days in advance and say wrap up, do this, do that. But actually, at the end of the day, uh, you've still got to face it. And yeah. I think the one thing to say about the weather when it's like this is it, yes, the weather is severe, but it, it's more severe when. Uh, it's more severe when you don't dress for it. Does yes. that make sense? If you're yeah. not prepared, and this is what this is how you can come back against the risks of the weather, is that you you make sure that you're wearing the right gear, that you're standing in the right place, that you're doing the right things. You you've been a little bit more careful than you would otherwise. That that negates some of the the the, the top end risk, if you like, and and helps you get through it. And I think that's the way that we not just not just take a brolly. You'll probably brolly, brolly will probably blow away. But you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's that kind of thing.
something that, that actually gets you there. Maybe in the commercial world, this sort of weather, and, and as I say at the weekend, not, not great. It hasn't been great for most of the summer, let's face it. So, so there's the commercial impact to one side. That just carries on. Uh, you know, uh, winners and losers in weather. I'm sure there'll be a few Wellington boots yeah. and other things selling quite well at the moment. You need a strong cagoule when it's like this. You certainly do. Uh, this has been the wettest summer on record. Is the weather changing? You can never take one one uh, year, uh, one summer, and say you know the Armageddon, global global warming, etc., etc. I, I didn't say Armageddon, Jim. Oh, you put the fear of no, God I into know. me now. I'm, I'm maybe exaggerating slightly, <laughs> but maybe people out there thinking it is. Yeah. I mean, it's so drab and horrible out there at the moment. I mean, I, I tweeted a word, a word this morning. And I just said it's grim ends, and and that was the sort of forecast that uh, we put out on on Twitter. Mm. Um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we've just got to live with it and uh, hopefully get through it because let, let, let's sort of end on a brighter note and, and, and that is the, the weekend will be better. It's going to be, it can't be much worse, let's face <laughs> it, but the weekend, coming, oh. the weekend coming will be a m- much more settled, especially down here in the three counties. So, uh, can we, we can get Jim as our weatherman? I, li- I like Jim. Can we get him as our weatherman? The week will be better. It can't be much worse than this. Yeah. Jim, listen, it's <laughs> lovely talking to you. Thank you. For, Adios, for, cheers, one, one final word. Yeah. When are they going to invent something? Something that's more useful than sandbags. Sandbags don't do anything when yeah, it comes it's, to floods. It's a bit, it's a bit weird. <laughs> They're rubbish. Uh, you know that's a very, very good comment. You want to put that out and ask for, ask for alternatives out there to sandbags. It's like we go back a century, yeah. isn't it, to say, yeah. yeah, let's get the sandbags out. It's, you know, they don't war. do anything. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm sure there are somebody going to invent something. Maybe we're going to need it in the future, but uh, we'll see. Jim, thank you very much. That's Jim Dale. He's a risk meteorologist from uh, uh, the High Wycombe-based British Weather Services. But it's true. When Whenever you see these stories about floods and things, they've always got sandbags out. Well, the sandbags don't do anything. Water can pass through sand. I don't know if you knew that. Water can pass through sand. Yes, it can. Have you, have you ever been to a beach? That's what happens. We are talking about smart homes uh, and new technology where you can turn your kettle on and your, your lights on even when you're not in the home. Why you'd want to do that, I'm not completely sure. Mike is in Bedford. Mike got in touch. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Michael. Would you ever use uh, this, this smart home technology? I might on some devices, but I certainly wouldn't use one on a washing machine. Why is that? I used to be a repair man for washing machines and domestic devices. Yeah. Seen far too many flooded kitchens. Oh. You let your washing machine uh, um, be used when you're not there. In fact, my kitchen flooded once while I was using the washing machine and was out in the garden cutting the grass. When I came in, I had an inch of water across me. me um, kitchen floor. Now, Michael, was it actually an inch of water, or is that a slight uh, exaggeration? No, it was, because it's a small kitchen, so it soon fills up. Did you, um, you, did you use sandbags to stop the water? No, loads and loads of towels. <laughs> That's all you can do in those situations. Where, where are the spare towels, love? I, we've had a flood. That's all you yeah. can do, isn't it? Yes, it's all you can do, you know. So, I'd, I'd be dubious about using it with some device and sort of thing, and, you know. Mike, and listen. I, I think in the leaflets of the washing machines, it advises you to not use them unattended. But, but that's the whole point. I always put my washing machine... You don't want to be there when the washing machine's on. I put it on when I go to bed or when I'm out. You don't want to be there watching it. Well, Ian, you're taking a chance then, aren't you? You certainly are, and that's the chance I'm prepared to take, Mike. Thank you, Mike in Bedford. Never use a washing machine unless you're there, is his advice. Uh, Strong words, strong words.
John <laughs> Sorry, I'm making myself laugh. John Terry has quit international football just hours before his FA disciplinary hearing. The Chelsea player says he can't carry on playing for England whilst the FA pursues racism charges against him. Well, I've been asking this morning, should footballers be role models? Our reporter, Justin Dealey, who is in many ways my role model, has been asking you about your role models when you were growing up and whether you think footballers make good ones. They can be good role models. Um, it depends, obviously, what happens in, in their own personal life. I wouldn't say John Terry is. Uh, Laura, first of all, before we talk about your role model when you were growing up, do you think footballers nowadays are good role models for young children? I think some of them are, maybe partly due to how much they get paid, which I think is far too much. I think it sort of goes to their head a bit, so some of them sort of think they're above everyone else or they can get away with certain things. So enough about multi-millionaire football players. When I say, Mr Grimsdale, Mr Grimsdale, you go weak at the knees because your role model when you were growing up was Norman Wisdom. He just made me laugh. Uh, Maybe it's part of the reason I think I've got quite a good sense of humour. It's just I think it's important to laugh. You've heard my Mr Grimsdale impression, which was dreadful, to be quite honest with you. Can we have one from you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not very good at it. Oh, come on, you can do it. Mr Grimsdale, Mr Grimsdale. That was perfect. Ten out of ten. (laughs) Some are, but in general I tend to think that they're not, purely because they seem to think they're above everybody else. I know that they get a lot of money too young sometimes, is what I feel, and they don't They have to work for it, obviously, but I tend to think that in the majority they're not really good role models. And your role model when you were growing up was? This might sound really odd. Uh, My Uncle Phil, actually. He seemed to always be around and be capable of always putting time out for me for anything I wanted to do. I think there's a lot of good um, work done for charities by players that um, are not reported in the papers, so there is a lot of them do give up their free time. And, um, yeah, you know, when you look at Niall Quinn, when he had his testimony, give all the money to the hospitals up there. So there is a lot of good work done by them, yeah. Definitely agree. So was Justin Dealey encouraging people to to do Norman Wisdom impressions? (laughs) Fantastic! The, 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 the young people working on the show have no idea who Norman Wisdom was. He was like the, the British Jim Carrey back in the day. Yeah, just as irritating and as unfunny. Uh, I, I, I shan't do mine at all. Don't worry about that. Uh, listen, we, put, we had a, a wonderful call-up earlier on in the show from Marie, I think it was, who called in to tell us um, about how she'd left her uh, bag on the bus and there was a whole series of events that led to her getting her bag back including a young man with a rabbit an asian cab driver the play various different people who are involved if you missed the call i thoroughly recommend you, you go and listen to it you can find it if you follow us on twitter uh, at bbc 3cr or if you go to the facebook page facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr we have put that clip up of that call I- i've been doing phone-in shows for i don't know about nine years it is easily the most random call I've ever had. It, it was apropos absolutely nothing. She just came on with this wonderful story to tell and told it in a fantastic way. So go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR or follow us at BBC3CR on Twitter and have a listen. I guarantee it will make you laugh. Thank you to everyone who called and texted and took part today. I enjoyed that. Tomorrow we'll be talking about couples that sleep not only in separate beds but possibly in separate bedrooms. Is that you? We'll speak to you tomorrow. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.